This episode of the LLA Show is brought to you by Lifter LMS. Lifter LMS is an online course building tool which helps you turn any WordPress website into your own digital academy where you can train, coach, and educate your community. Look, Mike and I know there are a lot of LLA listeners out there who are strength coaches, personal trainers, health and fitness pros, as well as other current and potential entrepreneurs who are looking to start their own thing, add more value to their current services and products, or who are seeking a way to stop trading time for dollars. So Chris over at Lifter LMS reached out and wanted to sponsor the LLA show. One, because he's a longtime listener and he believes in the holistic, no BS approach to health and fitness that we talk about here on the LLA show. Two, he wants to help quality health and fitness entrepreneurs grow their businesses online. Lifter LMS has already helped thousands of trainers and experts just like you augment their businesses with online courses. Look folks, these courses have the power to unlock the full potential of your expertise, lead you to the freedom that comes with an online business, and expand your impact to a larger global community. Take a look for yourself. Simply visit LifterLMS.com strength to download the Lifter LMS for free. Chris is also offering LLA listeners a generous 30% off coupon for anything in the Lifter LMS store. Simply use the coupon code STRENGTH. So go check it out at LifterLMS.com strength. That's Lifter, L-M as in Mike, S dot com slash strength. Again, that 30% off coupon code is STRENGTH. That's LifterLMS.com strength. Hey, what's up, folks? For another week, this is the Live Life Aggressive Show. Mike Mollison, Sierra Hogan. And look, man, we got a serious flashback here. Right now, on the show, we have the very first guest we've ever had on the Live Life Aggressive Show from five oh, years right. ago. I didn't know that. When we started this thing. Guest, our very first guest, he was on episode number five, I believe. Wow. It like, goes way back to May 2013. Nice. <laughs> I mean, so, yeah, think about that, man. Because, yeah, the first four... Actually, the first, oh, actually, I'll take it back. I used episode four. It wasn't episode five. It was episode four. Because the first three was us just kind of like getting into the right. groove of things. Man. Yeah. Talking, you know, we were talking about things like 24 and <laughs> Vitor Belfort <laughs> and all this other stuff. You know, but um, yeah, man. So our guest today, man, which is crazy to think that, you know, we've had him on the show a couple of times, I can say physically. But his essence has been damn near on every episode in the last five years. There's always something that always comes back to the spirit of Ken Blackburn. Right. <laughs> so it's oh, like shit. He, he pretty much might as well, he might as well be like another host of the show at this point because he's kind of like always been there. There's always a reference that comes back to Ken, you know, where it comes to you know, <laughs> you know, when it comes to the love of vodka or vodka. <laughs> I've had I've had quite a few people tell me that they're like, "Who's this Ken Blackburn guy?" Man, I need to check out his info because we we keep bringing up his name. And what people don't realize is, I mean, the first time he was on the show, he had a head full of hair like his son, Mitch. So a lot, a lot can happen in five years. <laughs> I don't know about a full head of hair. Maybe a, maybe like a Chia Pet Peach Fuzz thing going. That's, but you know what? When you were a young man, Ken, you had, you had a full head. You actually look a lot like Mitch. You, know, you had a full head of hair. That's, what, that's why Mitch is going, hey, man, talk to Mike about what I can do for my hair. Because he's looking at pictures of you now going, that's my future if I don't take charge right now. <laughs> he's like, I like this hair, man. I look good with this hair. I don't want to lose it. DNA is oh, a yeah. mother. 
Yeah, it's always sad for Mitch when I post those, you know, throwback Thursday pictures of me when I had hair when I was younger. Because, again, that's like the ghost of, you know, the future coming back going, yeah, see, your dad looked pretty good at that point, too. So, And now you look at your dad now, and I look like a catcher's mitt. So he's got a little snapshot into the future as to what his face is going to look like. <laughs> you know, I was telling you, I like to take credit for Mitch, or partial credit at least, for Mitch moving to California. Because I remember when... You guys were out here when we did that Live Life Aggressively Summit pot, uh, summit seminar back in 2014. Everyone was staying yep. at my house. And there was one time where it was just Mitch and I talking. We we're just chatting. I think you were taking a shower, Ken, and you were off somewhere sincere. I forget where. But anyway, it was just Mitch and I talking for a while. And he was telling me his plans and so forth, what he's going to do now. And I was saying, you know what, man? You got to get the hell out of Michigan. I go, the best thing I ever did was just get out of my hometown. I moved to Los Angeles, made my career. It was the best. It was the most important thing I ever did. And the four years I spent there were extremely formative. Everything that came after was because of those first four years. And he didn't seem, he seemed resistant to that idea, but I could tell the seed was planted. <laughs> so when I talked to you, when I caught up with, because we didn't talk for a while, and then I caught up with you when I was in Calabasas, you and I caught up on the phone. And you were telling me, yeah, Mitch is out in California. He's chasing this this dream of being a stand-up comic. I was like, wow, I didn't see that coming. I had no idea that was an interest of his. But just the fact that he had moved there, I thought, was awesome. And then you're going, he's never coming back. I go, yep, that's exactly right. Young guy in California, you're not going back home. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's good for, uh, you know, because Mitch saw me traveling a lot. Then he interacts with, like, you and Sincere and Steve. So he had a lot of good role models when he was young that kind of showed him that there's a lot of possibilities, you know, outside Michigan. And back in February, he, you know, decided he, um, you know, had an opportunity to go live out in California and give it a shot. And his whole goal, his primary goal was to get into movies and TV, but he also thought it would be smart to get into comedy. So he was out there like one week and was already doing like an open mic at the comedy store. So, um, awesome. you know, and of course it's not an easy thing out there, but I'm just super proud that he took a chance. I mean, it's, yeah, it's not easy to fly there, be completely on your own and then sure. go right into acting classes, auditions, open mic at the comedy store. Uh, so I'm super proud of him. But again, I, a lot of gratitude to you and other people that have influenced him. Well, that's, that's just great to see. And that it's going to be so good for him. It's going to be so transformative. Just have, especially putting yourself out there in such vulnerable ways. That that's only positive. Oh, I think so too. I think so too. Even like when he tells me about some of the stuff that, you know, you have to do at auditions. You know, you got to do twenty takes of like a very serious, intense scene, and it's really uncomfortable and awkward. But you know, those are exactly the type of things. Like we all know, you know, yeah. if your life is comfortable, something's wrong. Right. Right. You know, always, well, that's why I like to, that's why I like to take my life savings to go. That's why when I play blackjack, I don't just play at the five dollar table. I take my life savings with me because I've got to get out of my comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> what could go wrong? Ten thousand dollar ahead. Let's go. But one of the benefits, one of the benefits for Mitch though, is the fact that you know, for a lot of those kids going out there and having to deal with that, that's probably like very earth shaking to them. Like, oh man, how do I sit and do the scene over and over? And they get frustrated. Whereas. Here's where something like kettlebell sport can actually carry over into life because nothing is more frustrating than to sit there on that platform, especially for going 10 minutes straight. And, you know, especially like you're doing a long cycle, you got to sit there with those kettlebells beating down on your chest, but yet still you got to keep going through it. So that 20 minutes shoot, doing a scene over and over for 20 minutes is nothing compared to probably sitting on that platform and, and pretty much you feel like your life is being ripped apart and torn out of your body, you know, with those kettlebells right there. So one thing it does teach you, man, is patience and how to persevere through struggle and pain and 
not giving up because it's really easy to sit those bells down. So people always wonder, like, you know, what do you guys get out of doing that? Well, here's where they can carry over in life, man, because anything that really pushes you and challenges you and gets you out of your comfort zone, you know, I, I feel like that's great. Now, I'm not saying go do some stupid stuff, you know, like, you know, I'm going to go jump off a cliff, you know, or whatever else. And like with no parachute, I'm like, well, I can say this, your comfort zone, you will get out of it. You're also going to be in the danger zone. For the 30, for the 30 seconds that you're out of your comfort zone, it'll be great. <laughs> before you become... Before you well, face plans one time. <laughs> well, Joe, Joe Rogan had a good point about how men, and this applies to women too, of course, but he said men need to experience physical adversity to become confident. So if you don't put, and I, I can say for myself, I was a very shy kid. I had very low self-esteem. Even in college, I was better than high school, but I still was uncomfortable around people. I, I wasn't, I wasn't social, really overly social. That's why I drank so much and did a lot of drugs and party because that would get me out of that shell. It wasn't until I did network marketing of all things I mean, network marketing was a negative experience in a lot of ways, but the positives were it forces you to get in front of people. It forces you to talk to strangers and it's forcing you to talk to strangers with something that they have no desire to hear about. You know, so you're dealing with rejection all day long but the fact that I could keep pushing through that rejection, it was a transformative experience for me. So by the time I was teaching kettlebell seminars, I was already very comfortable in front of the room doing public speaking and so forth. And that's what allowed me to have a fast ascension in the fitness business. But the physical training has always been part of my repertoire as well in terms of building my confidence. And finally, I carried that over as you said, sincere, when I did the whole network marketing thing, because I wouldn't have been able to put myself in that uncomfortable experience and persevere through the constant rejection if you didn't have that mental toughness from physical training. So that's why my whole live, live, live life aggressively motto is, I mean, even my whole business model has always been being strong physically is great. That's a great endeavor in and of itself. But let's take it further. You know what you can do now building your body. You're stronger than you ever thought you could be. Let's take that and go break down other barriers that are in your head. Right. Oh, absolutely. And I think well, that's where athletics and, and in my background, it was, it was kettlebells, it was martial arts. And even now, like, even though I've been doing martial arts since I was 13, uh, even when I go into open roles, let's say on a Friday night with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, even though I've been doing this for a long time, there's still that that uncomfortable feeling, that feeling like, right. okay, this is going to be rough. <laughs> you know, and it, <laughs> right. it may not work out my way because we have a lot of, you know, really good guys where I train. And, and, it's, and it's a good thing for me because, you know, I go there, there's still that slight nervousness, and then you come out the other side and you, you feel amazing. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. that. It's like now every time you go and get on the mat, it's like you're dealing with younger, faster guys, you know, or, you know, or – they're younger. And, you know, one thing about you, you feel like you're invincible. You feel like you have, you know, you can't be defeated. So they're going all out. Whereas now you get to really get to challenge yourself because you think like, okay, I, I can actually pull back because I've been where this kid's been. So you have to really get into the whole mental aspect of it on top of that, even take it a step further where you're not necessarily just depending purely on your physical proudness. And I think that's where the youth gets in trouble, especially when it comes to martial arts and jujitsu. You know, and then it becomes very eye-opening because you get to see exactly how far you've come as a student of the game. Because yeah. it's really easy to get slipped back into that and let the ego step in. Like, I'm not going to let this oh, young like take me out. Like, oh, you're not going to tap me out, young. And, you know, so, and next thing you know, you're tapping, you know, because your ego got in the way. And so it becomes another life lesson right there. It's just like, even someone has been doing it for 20, 30 years, you can still slip up 
and catch yourself and be like, okay, let me not get caught up in that again. And so that right there is like rewarding in itself because it goes to show that you haven't learned everything, which to me is exciting. When you don't know everything, it's like, and when you realize that, that's what's exciting about life. When you start feeling like you know it all, life sucks. It's boring. It's boring. I don't care who you are. If you think you know it all, there's nothing exciting about life whatsoever because you're not looking for anything new because you think you right. know it all. <laughs> right. I think the other thing with physical, I think the other cool thing about just pushing yourself physically is that when I do heavy deadlifts, it's not so much that it's easy. It's just that I'm comfortable with the difficult, the difficulty in doing it. So you feel like your body's about to break in half, but you're able to push through that. It doesn't scare you anymore. Just like right. teaching overseas, and you can relate to this, Ken, just doing a super long flight. And then sometimes you're getting in the night before you have to teach. So you're jet lagged, you're out of it. You know, and you're, you wake up sometimes the morning of the course going, man, this is going to be a long day because I'm just totally out of it right now. But you show up, you teach a great course, people love it, and that's very empowering too. And I think a lot of times, like this and that situation, Mike, like I've, I've had that happen so many times. Like the course I'm thinking of right now is in Sydney, Australia. And I remember yeah. I literally got there that morning at like 6 a.m. And then I had wow. to start teaching three hours later. And that that's hardcore. after being on that brutal 14-hour flight. And yeah, it's that same thing. It's just, you know, you start questioning yourself. You're like, you know, I'm mentally, physically, I'm not optimal right now. Am I going to be able to do this? This is going to be a long day. But I think at that moment, <laughs> it's, it's just going, I'm going to do it anyway. And then you start right. saying things and you move in a certain way. There's behavior patterns that start to lock in. And the next thing you know, you, you find your group. But you got to move. You got to do something. And I you got to do the Nate Diaz. If you do the Nate Diaz thug walk for a few minutes before starting the class, you're going to get <laughs> oh, zoned in. It doesn't matter how you feel. Or that doesn't work. There's always, there's always medicinal if that doesn't work, Ken. Steve Cotter swag walk, though. Steve Cotter swag walk. That that works too. <laughs> the swag walk is good, but I, I like to do the Nate Diaz thug walk in my garage, of course, where no one's around in between sets. <laughs> I'm working out. <laughs> That'll get you in state, then. <laughs> I did the Steve point, Carter walk at like the gym. I side video comparison of Steve and Nate doing that walk. <laughs> well, see, the, thing, is, the thing about the Steve Carter walk is Steve, is Steve is a happy guy in general, but the Steve Carter walk, you can just tell he doesn't have a care in the world. He's happy. He's like, yeah, this life is great. Well, the yeah, Nate Diaz walk is more like his response to Bruce Buffer when Bruce Buffer said that Nate Diaz should bow down to the UFC and so forth. And Nate Diaz is like, fuck you, Buffer. I don't bow down to shit. Like, I don't care how much money you <laughs> offer me. I don't bow down to anyone. That was so funny. And then Bruce Buffer responds back, just backtracking, going, oh, I didn't mean bow down. Literally, I just meant this. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Too little, too late. Yeah. But you got to, this is why people, that exchange shows you exactly why people love the Diaz brothers. Because he just posted exactly what was on his mind in that moment. He didn't sit there and think about it and say, no okay, let me, let me get the words right. He's like, fuck that, man. I don't bow down to shit. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> I don't care how much money you offer. That's why people love it because they, they have this street thug type energy. And to some extent, that's who they are. But anyone right. I know who's met them in person, gone to their school, say they're the nicest guys. They're super cool to kids. They're super cool to everyone who walks in there. And, and people like that because it's very honest. They're cool guys, but they're also guys that have that thug mentality of we're not going to take crap from anybody. Oh, absolutely. Legit tough guys. And it's even interesting in the background. They're, you know, they're high-level triathletes from what I hear. Oh, yeah, they are. They are. They're probably better at that than fighting. <laughs> they do that at such a high level. <laughs> oh, yeah.
So you've been spending, speaking of fighting, you've been spending a good amount of time in Albuquerque. You've gone there a few times. How, how was that experience? Oh, man, I love Albuquerque. It's one of those things like when initially when I thought of Albuquerque, you can't help but go to like Breaking Bad and you think that you're just going to go into this wasteland <laughs> and there's going to be gunshots. But Albuquerque is a beautiful place, beautiful people. I oh, love yeah. the culture, the food, everything about it's amazing. And I started going out there to uh, teach some courses at the UFC gyms and just seminars, kettlebells, et cetera. But through that, I started to connect with some different fighters from Jackson. So I went over there and worked with some of their guys. And it was really fun just every time I would go in because one of the guys that I was doing online training for, he would always, you know, bring me to the pro practice so I could watch all those guys train and fight. And then I could go to the open roles, which was just an amazing experience. Very cool. Did you Now, you said, you know, when you and I were talking before, you said you saw John Jones down there quite a bit and that he's definitely the alpha there in terms of when he's sparring with other people, he gets the better of everyone. Absolutely. I would say, yeah, you never want to say what goes on in a gym, um, you know, that gym code. But, you know, when you walk in and you watch John train and you watch him fight and you watch him spar with other people, um, right. it's super clear he's the alpha. And, and it's funny, too, because a lot of times people will say, John, oh, he's, he's tall and he's skinny. And when you meet John in person, you no, know, he's tall and he's <laughs> That is well, he deadlifts, six, he deadlifts 600 pounds. He squats 500 pounds. I think the days of him being tall, skinny, and lanky, those are long past because he looks like, especially right now, if you look at the training footage that he put out maybe in the last couple of days, he's ready for heavyweight. And there's, there's a rumor that he's going to fight Daniel Cormier before this year is over at heavyweight, which would be fucking awesome if that happens. Oh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I mean, it'll be kind of interesting to see how this all kind of plays out. Uh, you know, I think DC is going to fight Brock, which, you know, that's just the money fight, but it's kind of a joke. Right. And then I'm DC not sure if that's going to happen. Be- yeah, I think Brock is not going to be able to be eligible until well, he, January. After, he, he, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Then they, then they, but if he fights Jones in November and he loses, that fight's definitely off. Now it's going to be Jones versus Brock, which, I, which honestly, I'd rather well, see that. Issue. Well, the biggest issue is the fact that Brock is just now finishing with the WWE, which means he's going to need those six months or so. He's going to need those five months to, just to clean up. Because yep. <laughs> just, just well, the, he, just he looks like he's cleaned up now because he looks way smaller well, yeah, he than, did, <laughs> than yeah, he did recently. Way smaller than he was a year and a half ago when he came to the WWE. Right. But, you know, right. but you, you got to make sure you get all that stuff out of his system before then, man. So, because, you yeah, know, he still had room to set. Yeah, he has to be in the testing pool for a while. Some are saying that about and John, they, they, but John randomly. They already let him know that, you know, starting from this point on, it's like, it's just random. So even at this point, he needs to be clean because now they just don't know. I'm surprised he passed any test before. I mean, the fact that he only <laughs> tested for Clomid, Clomid in that world is a joke. You know, Clomid is nothing compared to the animal. Clomid is just a, Clomid's just a serum that reboots your testosterone levels after using a cycle. And it can be used as a natural testosterone booster, as we know with Dr. Mark Gordon. But, in terms of what professional athletes use, that's not their go-to choice. You know, they want to use much stronger things than that and then use Clomid to reboot your natural production after a harsher cycle. Which clearly, Brock obviously uses serious anabolics, whether he's getting caught for it or not. It's obvious looking at him. Well, he can't. You can't pretty much to be one of Vince's guys, you can't not use it. Okay, if you look at all his guys that he tries to push over from a Roman Reigns or whatever else, these these dudes are huge. Now, all the little guys, he hates them. Like, a, you know, like a Brian Danielson, you know, with Daniel Bryan. He hates all those little guys because he feels like that's just not good for the brand. But those are the guys that pretty much the everyday person fan, they like them because they look like the everyday person. 
<laughs> so they, of course, they latch onto these guys, you know, whatever. So nobody wants to be down with Vince doesn't want to be the little guy who's a vegan, you know, or a vegetarian, you know, who's all right. about like saving the environment. Whatever that doesn't sound, it doesn't sound brutal in the ring. You know, why would he get behind a guy like that? But the fans say, hey, dude, that's the type of guy we like. Whereas all his guys are all, they're Roy, I mean, dude, they're just on everything. It's just kind of ridiculous. And you can see it. You can see in their performance. So it's like yeah. I said, it's going to be very interesting to see how Brock, you know, how these next few months are going to go between now and January. You know, how clean is he really going to be between that time and now? Considering that his last match was like two weeks ago. You know, so yeah. I'm like, that's a short, that's a short period of time, dude. <laughs> I don't see that. I don't see that one happening. I think it's more likely that Jones gonna is going like to get a slap. Jones is going to get a slap on the wrist because even Novisky said that it doesn't really make. It doesn't look like he used this intentionally, given that he passed every drug test that they gave him, except for one that was two hours before the fight, or maybe it was two hours after weigh-ins. I forget, but it was one time only, and it was an extremely low trace amount. But you're talking about so Jones, think, right? Yeah, I'm talking about Jones. So oh, I yeah, think I'm given the Brock. circumstances, no, I'm, no, I'm just saying that I, I just segue back to Jones. I'm just saying that I think it's more likely that Jones is going to fight Cormier than Brock fighting Cormier. Oh, yeah. Of what, I, don't what really I, just see, I don't think Brock can even be ready to like spring or summer, man. Like that Memorial. Jones, Jones is getting ready to fight at heavyweight right now. That's exactly. for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everyone is, knows it. Everyone sees him. He's working on knockout power. He's going to have much more knockout. Just, just as Cormier has knocked more it, knockout it, power at heavyweight. And it makes more sense for John. It's like, okay, just a, another proving ground for him. It's like, look, I beat this dude at light heavyweight. Me, it'll just White. really yeah. it'll boost it'll boost his ego to say, like, then I went up to heavyweight and beat you. <laughs> okay. Right. And so just But, if, but if Cormier just, can pull off the impossible and beat Jones at heavyweight, then he will be known as the best pound for pound, right. rides off yeah, into the sunset. Okay. Perfect yeah. climax to his career. Is that the way it's going to go down? Not likely, because Jones no. definitely has his number. But right. anything can happen. Well, it'd be interesting, too, to see how Stipe is going to fit into all this. Because, you know, like yeah. you guys, I have a funny feeling that Brock just isn't going to make it back. Which means yeah, Stipe so. either gets the rematch or Stipe fights Jones to then determine who fights DC. Well, Jones is only going to fight for a belt. I doubt he would come back and fight Stipe. He's either going to fight at a belt at light heavyweight or heavyweight. I can't imagine him fighting. I mean, anything possible. See, what you're saying. What I could see. What I could see if Brock were to come back, he probably would fight Stipe and let that be the one to determine who goes on to fight for the belt. That's some stuff that's that Dana. That's something that Dana would do, you know. And so it's kind of like a, it's also a testing ground for Brock to see if you know. Right. It's like okay, you pass him, then you get your shot. The problem is Stipe is not a big draw, and Dana doesn't like Stipe. So those are, that's why Stipe had which all the power he, when he was the champion. That's why he was scheduled that. That's why he probably yeah. looked at it because he doesn't yeah. like him. He would think that he likes Brock, so he would want Brock to go in and destroy him. So either way it goes, yeah, he's which, not going to lose. Which he, Brock which he wouldn't. Money. Yeah, Brock, yeah. Would, Brock he's wouldn't be beat Stipe. He's gonna Stipe be would, I bet Stipe would knock out Brock. He's not going to lose. Stipe is, not, Stipe is extremely underrated. Everyone right. thought Francis oh, Ngannou was gonna. Every, everyone thought Ngana was gonna knock his head off, and Stipe went in there and destroyed him, just beat him up for five rounds. He was never in danger. Yeah, and that's crazy too, because Ngannou had just a massive amount of hype going into that fight. Yeah, you know? yeah, he did. And he looked, and he looked to be that good, but you know, he looked the part, know? yeah, too. But then once we yeah. got inside the fight, you almost don't want to have the can't hype. wrestle no cardio. You don't want to have right. any hype these going into any of these fights because this is like everybody's waiting for you to crash. So That's I was like, right. I, I'd almost, if you're hyping me up and I'm getting ready for a fight, I'd be telling, hey, hey, cut that shit out. Shush. 
Stop. <laughs> Stop. It's like, a, it's like, it's like being on Madden. It's like being on the cover it's of Madden. It's a brutal sport. Ken, did you see did you see Gaethje versus Vic this past weekend? Oh, I did. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> god, that was rating. the most vicious knockout. Yeah, that knockout was. I mean, he was knocked out on his feet, and he just fell over timber. That that was brutal. That was. Really I think Gaethje's like that special type of fighter. Like you and I were talking, Mike, because you were talking about talking to Matt Brown, and I think there's yeah. certain people on the UFC that are very good fighters, but they don't like to fight. GSP would be one of them. He's very good at right. fighting. But he's an athlete, whereas somebody right. like Matt Brown, he likes to fight. And yeah. I think Gaethje loves to fight. He loves wars. He's not afraid of being in the pocket. And that's a scary dude. <laughs> when, I, when I had lunch with Matt Brown, it's a funny story. I was going to wait until Matt Brown comes back at the show, but I'll, I'll give the Cliff Notes version now. We're, we're just having lunch. And we're having a really good conversation. And I'm like, this is awesome, man. I'm hanging out with Matt Brown. He's a cool guy. He's been on the show a couple of times. We're talking about hormones. We're talking about Project Child Save. We're just talking about a lot of cool shit. And then all of a sudden, I had this anaphylactic shock to whatever it is I was eating. And I've never had that before. Like, my, my, I started choking, and uh, my eyes were watering. <laughs> and, and, like, I couldn't – I was trying to catch my breath, right? And meanwhile, Matt's looking at me going, look, man, he's just giving me this look like, look, man, I don't have time for you to die on me right now. You know, I got shit to do. <laughs> I, I, I came in here to go to the UFC performance there to get my, get my, get my knees worked on, man. I don't have time to deal with you. <laughs> he's like, look, motherfucker, I think I'm giving you mouth to mouth. You got another thing coming. Today is the day you. <laughs> no, the, the crazy, the crazy like, thing sorry, is I recovered. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If, if he had to give me mouth to mouth, he would have just let me die. That's for sure. <laughs> Hopefully someone else in the restaurant would have you know, jumped on that. But anyway, I've never had that before, so it was freaky. And then it just passed. And then uh, my, my throat was scratchy for the rest of the night. And then the next day, I, I felt like I had a fever. And then it was gone. Within 24 hours, it was completely gone. It was the weirdest thing ever. Anyway, that restaurant's Damn. off my list of places to go to. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no kidding. No kidding. Or you got when I went to Brown, one of the two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why now when I travel, I have Benadryl with me just on the off chance something like that happens again. But that that was freaky, man. That was really freaky. Yeah, but no, you're <laughs> right. You know, people, people like Matt Matt Brown when he was on the show, he talked about how he way before he got into fighting, he used to when he would go to a bar and and get into a confrontation, and you're walking outside to fight. He said he would just be on cloud nine, like he'd be so excited, like man, I can't wait to get out there, I can't wait to get out there and scrap. And the exact opposite mentality of 99 percent of men who are just crapping their pants, and uh, that even if at the possibility of that happening, he's he's just a guy that if he were born during, let's say Henry VIII's era, you know, he'd be a soldier on the field, you know, going out there and killing people. Hell. Oh, 100%, like, 100%, like, when he was on your podcast and Joe's podcast, I mean, he's a very fascinating, intelligent guy to listen to, but you can tell, he's really like, cool deep down, him. underneath all that, that dude is all warrior. He reminds yeah, me of, I just started watching, I just started watching Peaky Blinders, man, he reminds me a lot, like, of Arthur, like, the, the older, older brother. It's just like, oh, we're in the fight? Hell yeah, it's just like, any time, any, any excuse to just go out and scrap, man, he was, like, it would light him up. And that's because, like, you've been, Matt would have been perfect for that time period back then, man. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and it's good. He just reminds and me of guys in bars. Oh, go ahead, Ken. Oh, no, I was just going to say, it's kind of fascinating when you kind of look at that dichotomy. You got somebody like Matt Brown likes to fight. Gaethje likes to yeah. fight. Then you yeah. got somebody like GSP who's back in the locker room telling other fighters, like, I don't want to be here, you know. And <laughs> But then he goes out there, he steps up, and he performs, and arguably, you know, one of the greatest ever. 
Frank Shamrock said the same thing. He said that he he would have to watch really violent movies the night before a fight or read really graphic books to put him in that state because he he said he always felt bad about hurting someone or the, the thoughts would go through his head, you know, like, don't hurt this person. And he goes, you can't have those thoughts as a fighter. You got to go in there ready to destroy. So he's, that was a, a conundrum for him though. And I found that really fascinating when you watch him fight. He was, especially in his prime, he was such a strategic killer. He was so good. Some of those early UFC fights, he was finishing people in the first minute in very vicious fashion. So I think I think it's really interesting. I think the stereotypes that people have of a lot of fighters, some of them are accurate, but most of them aren't. And there's oh, most of these, most yeah, of these yeah, guys, of men and women, are very cerebral. A lot of them are college educated, highly intelligent, and this is just their physical expression. Even like with a even with a movie comparison, it's like you know Frank, he's more of like a Robert McCall in The Equalizer. <laughs> you know, just kind of right, like. Right. Uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta kind of get your mind right. Like, okay, he's the mild mannered guy, but he's like, gotta get himself in this mindset. And it's like, all right, he's hitting the timer. Like, okay, I got at least 25 minutes to go ahead and do what I have to do with this guy. But then after that, it's over. He's done. He's yeah. going back to normal. Some of these guys are still hyped up. Like, okay, I want to fuck somebody else up now. <laughs> you know, so it just really just depends, man. It really depends. I, I had some friends in special forces. One of my, one of the early guys who helped me out a lot in getting my, my word out there in, in Northern Virginia, getting my courses filled up rather in Northern Virginia, my friend, Jim Tyree, he was a special forces guy and black Hawk down that movie. They consulted him with quite a bit because he was, he was there in that incident. But he yeah. told me that one time he was leading, actually one of his guys, who's a customer of mine, this other Colonel told me that one time he and Jim were in the field and one of their guys got killed. So they, in the middle of the night, they went and killed all the people that killed their friend. And Jim was one of those guys who turned the switch on, turn it off. Right. So he did what he needed to do. The second they killed these people, he turned it off while the other guy, Colonel Bristol, he was just really amped up. Right. He's like, yeah, man, we fucked them up. We're going to do this. And then Jim would just say, time to calm down. You know, this we did what we needed to do. It's over. Turn it off. And he said that, that really stuck with him, that ability yeah. to switch things off rather than just be in this heightened adrenaline state, because you can't waste energy being this adrenaline state because you don't know when. The next operation is going to be. So the second it's over, boom, you relax. This guy could fall asleep leaning up against the wall if he had to. Just put his head up against the wall, lean, get 15, 20 minutes in. Okay, we're ready to go. That's yeah, awesome. Something can be said about that. Even just doing that, even if you're not in something as engaging as like being a special force, being in the military, there's something to be said by being able to turn that switch on and turn it right back off in a lot of things. And I think what what's Really, the norm now is that most people have their switches off or they're it's always one end of the spectrum or their switch is always on. They don't know how to balance it out, man. It's just like some people just amped about everything in life. It's like they'll come and they're hanging out with you. They just won't shut the fuck up. And they're just talking, talking, talking. And they're not reading the body language, realizing like no one's interested in this conversation, <laughs> but they're just going on and on and on. And you're looking like, dude, everyone's looking at their phones. No one's listening to you right now. But in their mind, these people think like they're telling the most interesting story and everyone's engaged with it. And then yeah. there are those people who just like pretty much you're talking to them and, you, they and they're you just nothing. somewhere else. Yeah. They can look you right in your eye, but you see, you can look in their eyes and there's a soul that's just gone. And it's just like, (laughs) they're just off. And you're just like, dude, what is, are you okay? Yeah, you know, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm good. And you're like, no, bro, you're not good. (laughs) Not good at all. So you you have the two extremes of of people that offer too much. You and I were joking, Sincere, how maybe you're talking to someone at the dog park and they offer too much information. 
It's like, hey, man, how right. are things going? Uh, walked in on my wife banging another dude. You're like, whoa, whoa, man. I'm like, I'm like first of all, it was a rhetorical question, bro. It was, it, was my, it was me being nice. I didn't really give a fuck about your thing, okay? And I really didn't care about your wife getting banged by your dog, okay? You're telling me way too much. <laughs> in fact, now I feel obligated that I need to report her for animal cruelty now. So now you put me in a very some people are just so desperate to tell i mean there's there's people i've met that you barely know these people sometimes they're perfect strangers and they're just telling you their life story and you're like wow man you're just really desperate to unload on someone or maybe you think because you're never going to see me again or it's unlikely we'll run into right. each other that it's safe it's like a confession that you're going to church <laughs> for confession it's that kind of thing and then there's other people that it's it's I mean, I don't like being someone where I have to keep asking people questions to keep the conversation yeah, going. So you got to give me something. I, I, I'll just be quiet too. I don't care. I don't get uncomfortable. Hey man, look, I got to keep I, asking you questions to keep it going. Then after a while, I'll be like, you know what? If you're not going to ask any questions back to me, you're not going to give me something back. Then we don't need to talk. <laughs> We're done. Look, man, I, I can go full Depeche Mode on your ass. I can enjoy the silence, motherfucker, really quick. <laughs> Ooh, nice reference. Nice reference. <laughs> Now, jumping back to the MMA guys, sorry to bounce around. What are your no, guys let's do thoughts? It. I'm interested. What do you think about Connor and Khabib? Yeah, man. We talked about this with Rick yeah, from Edelina's Way episode. last week, but we, we can talk about it again. I think uh, that well, you and I talked about this, Ken, and here's what I think. Initially, I thought Khabib was just going to wipe the floors with him. Then I saw that Alaquinta fight, and I thought, man, Khabib's striking is so nascent or that I, if – Connor is so precise with his punches that he can, and, and Khabib is one of those guys who just moves forward and takes the hits so he can take you down. He's not going to be able to take the hits from Connor, though, if that's his strategy. So he's going to have to come in with a different strategy because Connor's so precise and he's so powerful that he can finish you. If he's able to get his hands on Connor, Connor's in for a rough ride. I think, though, that if I had a bet on it, that Connor will catch him on the way in, possibly in the first round. What do you think, Sin? No, pretty much. We talked about the same thing last time on the last episode. I agree. It'll end up being an Aldo situation, you know, especially, right, you know, right. especially because there's also a lot of emotion as far as to be, oh, yeah. you know, with the whole bus thing and all that, which you're playing Connor's game, man. And people talk a good game to my, I'm not going to play this game and all this trash talking. You, The fact that you mentioned it, you're already playing the game. The fact that you even brought it up, it's already in your head now. And he's already <laughs> got you. And, that's, and yeah. that's, that's, that's dangerous. Whereas, like, look at the first fight with Nate. Nate was just like, nah, I'm good, bro. I'm just going to go in, you know, do my thing. I'm going to go in, get my strikes, blah, blah. And, hey, it's going to be a good fight. Everything was cool. You know, so he wasn't even talking about what Conor was saying. Well, he, he cared less. Second time around, not so much. And then look what happened. So it's like you got to, like I said, if you're bringing up the fact that, you know, you're not going to let him get in your head, he's already in there, bro. He's already yeah. in there. Yeah, I think you can. Yeah. I think it's, well, I think it's one of those things where I just like everybody's talking about if, you know, will Connor catch him on the way in? And if he doesn't, if Khabib takes him down, will Connor be able to get up? So I don't, right. you know, my guess is that my thinking is that Connor will be able to get up. We saw that against Chad Mendez. Chad Mendez is a right. stud wrestler. So what I envision happening is Khabib's probably going to get some takedowns. Uh, I suspect Connor's going to get back up. And at some point, that big left is going to land. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. only has to land out. it once. That's how powerful yeah. Connor is with that. He only has to do it one time like he did with Eddie Alvarez. You know, Eddie Alvarez, well, Eddie Alvarez had a flawed strategy, but he's, he's a good wrestler too. And I thought that's what he was going to try to do. And when he, when he tried to play Connor's game, that didn't work for him. Now, I don't think Khabib's going to make that mistake, but 
Khabib has to close the distance and get his hands on him, and that leaves you open to getting hit. Now, with these other guys, no big thing. You take the hits, no no problem. But Connor's a different animal with that precision and power that he has. And one other thing, and I think we, a lot of we talked about in the uh, on the last episode that I brought up the one thing that people everybody's talking about what can happen physically in that fight. Again, a lot can be said by taking a nice break, like Connor's yeah, had for a while. That's true, and, and actually not be constantly fighting and fighting and fighting. And you know, whereas before people, oh, you know, ring rust and blah blah. I'm like, nah. When you're at this stage in your career, and you know, it's, it's a it's a paradox because people think, oh, you're getting older, blah blah. But I'm just like, when you're an athlete of that caliber, something can be said by having a nice time time off and yeah. really get when you really focus on other things in between, which will make you thirsty and hungry to get back in there and do all the things that you really should be doing in order to win. And not all the things that you've been doing recently and over and over and over again, which by that time everybody's figured out by then, because they've seen you fight so constantly, you know, in the last year or so they did, they pretty much, Oh, here's a hole here, here's a hole there. But now he's been missing in action. The last fight you saw was him and, and Mayweather. <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of like, yeah. Now you don't know, you know, what, what, what are you fighting against this time? You don't really have any tape to really go by. Everything you have is like two and three years old. A lot can happen in, in those two and three years. So you don't know exactly what he's been doing during all that time period. So That's I, a great I, point. I, I can say about taking time I mean, another, another scenario is that Bob Guerin jumps in the ring and, and holds up whoever gets knocked out first. You know, that's a possibility as well. Are they going to throw him in like throwing the towel? Because they weigh about the same. So. <laughs> throw the bomb! Throw the bomb! <laughs> someone, someone was telling me, it's an undisclosed source, so I don't want to put the spotlight on that, but someone was telling me that because Connor has so much money that he has people in his camp who can allow him to beat any test he wants, taking whatever he wants. And that's not hard to believe for anyone who understands beating drug tests. That's what a lot of professional athletes do. That's why a lot of people don't get caught. Okay. They're not getting, they're not, they're, they're not avoiding getting caught because they're not taking anything. They're taking a lot of stuff. But for, for every test, there's a way to mask it. There's always masking agents. Oh, yeah. Come on. Come on. Anyone that has any, any kind of knowledge of science and chemistry know how these things can be beat. Because that's all it is, man. It's science. If you, have, you've got, if you have enough money, you can beat anything, right? That's what most athletes yeah, exactly. do. It's not cheap. It's not cheap to do. It's not cheap to hire the people. It's not cheap to take. Whatever masking is, I'm, I'm not, and I'm not saying that Connor's on anything. I'm just saying that given how wealthy he is now, any edge he can get, he can afford. More of the Live Life Aggressively show right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the LLA show is brought to you by Lifter LMS. Lifter LMS is an online course building tool which helps you turn any WordPress website into your own digital academy where you can train, coach, and educate your community. Look. Mike and I know there are a lot of LLA listeners out there who are strength coaches, personal trainers, health and fitness pros, as well as other current and potential entrepreneurs who are looking to start their own thing, add more value to their current services and products, or who are seeking a way to stop trading time for dollars. So Chris over at Lifter LMS reached out and wanted to sponsor the LLA show. One, because he's a longtime listener and he believes in the holistic, no BS approach to health and fitness that we talk about here on the LLA show. Two, he wants to help quality health and fitness entrepreneurs grow their businesses online. Lifter LMS has already helped thousands of trainers and experts just like you augment their businesses with online courses. Look folks, these courses have the power to unlock the full potential of your expertise, lead you to the freedom that comes with an online business, and expand your impact to a larger global community. Take a look for yourself. Simply visit LifterLMS.com strength to download the Lifter LMS for free. Chris is also offering LLA listeners a generous 30% off coupon for anything in the Lifter LMS store. 
Simply use the coupon code STRENGTH. So go check it out at lifterlms.com slash strength. That's lifter, L-M as in Mike, S dot com slash strength. Again, that 30% off coupon code is STRENGTH. That's lifterlms.com slash strength. And now back to the show. There you go. There you go. That's all I'm saying with that. Yeah, that fight's going to be interesting because you brought up a good point, Sin, is that he's he's not been taking fights nonstop. And a lot of people, I think, think that if a fighter is fighting constantly, it makes him better. And to some degree, that's true. But there comes a threshold where if you're that journeyman who's just taking every fight that's coming your way, you, you can only get your ticket punched so many times before it starts to have a negative effect. And then Mike and I were even talking about this with training in general is that, yeah. You know, our perspectives have changed as far as, man, like, oh, I'm training year-round, every workout's hard, every workout's a DEFCON 5, you know. And, <laughs> right. and I've really had to switch my perspective, especially now that I'm 47, to where I still want to train hard and challenge myself right. to be a good athlete. But I'm I'm much more cognizant now of, okay, if I exit the workout right now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel good and I won't be sore. Yeah. Now, yeah. I could let my exactly. ego jump in and let's kill, let's kill that other another two-minute set. But then I'm kind of physiologically ruined. Yeah. You have to know what price you're paying when you do stuff, right? Like, well, I've been talking with Sincere about this high-frequency deadlifting program I'm doing. I talked to you about it, too, Ken. And when I first started it, I was doing fairly conservative percentages of my one rep max, 60, no more than 70%. And then as I, I was getting strong so fast, I started ramping up the weights. Like, okay, now let's get into some big numbers. And I was, yep. pulling, over, I was pulling over 500 pounds several times a week and thriving. But the thing is, is that as I was doing it, I realized, okay, you're, you're crushing it right now, but you're training intensely enough that you're going to have to pay a recovery price soon. It's inevitable. So don't wait until you get weaker and you're burned out. Take that recovery time in ASAP. So last week I pushed it hard just to see where I'm at. Now I know where I'm at. Now it's, now I'm taking three days off, getting a massage, going to the spa, hot tub, steam room sauna type thing, just amplify my recovery. And then Wednesday, jump back into it, back to those conservative 60 to 70% ranges, do another ramp up phase, and then go for a PR. So you just learn these things as you go along. The mistake I think a lot of us make when we're younger is when we're on a roll, we, we try to make that roll last as long as possible. And we don't stop until we go into a deficit. It's like someone at the strip going, how many people gamble and leave at the top, right? I was playing blackjack with this this couple next to me. Nice enough couple, but they were the worst blackjack players ever, ever. And they just kept having dumb luck. So they kept fucking winning, even though they were doing everything wrong. And then they had this big stack of chips right in front of them. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know how long I'm going to be at this table because I like to move around. But if I'm going to be here for the next 30, 40 minutes, I guarantee you that stack is going to be down to zilch by the time I leave. And sure enough, that stack went down to zilch. You can only get away with dumb luck for so long. So if they were smart, they would have left on a high note. But you're not going to leave on a high note when you're using a flawed strategy, because you Look, just man, think you're that. not going to leave on a high note when you're high. Because when you're <laughs> so, yeah. so let's say that well, depends on what kind of high we're talking about here. <laughs> <laughs> Alcohol, <laughs> yes. Weed, weed, weed makes you paranoid. So you're going to leave because you're going to be like, man, I better leave right now. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't give me all my chips, bro. Like, yes, sir. No, <laughs> you, you're, you're taking tequila shots. You're going to think that. You're like, oh, man, I'm on a roll. Lady looks on my side. I'm going to let it ride. And then it's gone. <laughs> but it, it's really interesting to me, too. One of the, I mean, I like playing blackjack for a variety of reasons. But one of the reasons I like doing it is because 
I like observing people in their habits and the way they handle situations. And also what amazes me is it gives you a microscope into the way people live their lives too. Because if you go play blackjack and you're doing, I'm not saying you're doing it on vacation when you're in Vegas once every five years. I mean, these are regulars at these local casinos. Now you would think that if you're going to play that often, you would learn a strategy so that you win more often, but they don't. They just come in there and do whatever the hell they want to do and see what happens. And that's the way they probably live their lives too. No strategy, just acting and hoping things work out for the best. And rarely do they do that. <laughs> yeah, let's, the whole life is a hail Let's throw some shit on the wall and see what sticks. First of all, you're throwing shit on the wall. That's already a bad idea. <laughs> 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 Somebody's got to clean this wall. That didn't work out well for me. <laughs> yeah, every time I threw shit on the wall, it never worked. <laughs> it doesn't end well, man. First of all, you had shit in your hand from the from the very start. Okay, that's when things were already going bad. Okay, then you threw it on. Like, well, you're not a gorilla. It's like when Sincere and I were at the it's it's the bar, the first bar you see when you walk into Cosmo. I want to say it's the drop bar, but I think that's at the Hard Rock. But anyway, it's Center Bar. I believe it's called Center Bar. Anyway, people know what I'm talking about. When you walk in the entrance of the Cosmo, the first yeah. bar you see just past the lobby registration. That place is great for people watching. I mean, you oh. could go there by yourself, smoke a cigar, just and just watch the madness unfold. And Sincere and I are there when he was in town, and we're we're just watching dudes hitting on broads. Half the time, these guys didn't even realize they were talking to prostitutes. That was the funniest part. Right. <laughs> we're just watching what they're saying. We're, we're watching the body language. It was just hilarious. And then the best one, the best one was the South Asian guy. You know that dude was oh, going to say him. I'm like, Indian guy talking to that. Indian guy talking to this black girl. And he's like, let me take me. I'm gonna take you back to my room. I'll show you my motherboard. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can just tell that the only reason this lady's talking to you, buddy, is because she's on the clock, man. Otherwise, right, she would have told you to f off a long time ago. Because you can just tell by his body language, her body language, that she wasn't attracted to him. Now she's going to give him the time because she thinks she might be able to make some money out of it, but it's not because she right. finds them attractive in any way, shape or form. So she, he looks very excited. She looks like, okay, I just showed up for work today. I just clocked in. It's kind of like how you see people at work every day. Like who's actually really excited to come to work every day. Like that? <laughs> well, this guy was so focused on what he wants. He doesn't even realize that what's in front of him doesn't want him back. It's like what you said, since right. about not being able to read body language. I remember one time we were at the Hard Rock, and it was uh, uh, Chris Cornell was playing with Soundgarden. And then at the same time, at the other part of the hotel, Nelly was doing a performance. So you had this real <laughs> conglomeration of a variety of fans. I remember walking back to the venue, and there was this one young guy talking to a girl, and he was talking to her up against the wall, right? So she couldn't go anywhere, not easily anyway. And you know, his mind, he's like, he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. He thought, he thought he was talking to all this mad game. He was so happy with himself. And her body language was she couldn't get out of there fast enough. I mean, she like, was pulled back completely. She's rolling her eyes as he's talking. And this guy is completely clueless. He has no idea. <laughs> most guys are, guys most like that are amazing. Like, they just have, they have no yeah. perception of when to stop. They have no perception of other people's perception of them. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> but sometimes that's better than being the guy who doesn't even try, right? Those guys who uh, they see women all the time and they just never try. And at least if you do what these people are doing, maybe I'm giving them too much credit. You would hope that at some point you learn, you realize, okay, I'm putting myself out there. It's not working. So <laughs> let me, I'm putting myself out there. That's good. But what I'm doing is not working. So let me modify my strategy. That's better than someone who just makes fun of people, but never tries, right? You never get in the game. Like, oh, look exactly. at this idiot. 
control. It's like, well, at least he's trying, man. What are you doing? He's swinging. He's swinging. Sure he's trying to yeah. I mean, I was at the gym one time. So go ahead, go ahead, Ken. Yeah. I was going to say, jumping back to the uh, the physical stuff, you see a lot of people that do that same thing where they, they train really hard, they get injured, they recover. Uh, they train really hard, they get injured, they recover. And they never really seem to, like, look at the data and go, wow, I'm getting hurt a lot. Maybe my recuperative, <laughs> restorative strategy is not working. You know, right. maybe there's other elements of my life that are affecting my training in a bad way. So I think you have to constantly be looking at all those different life variables like, okay, I'm training hard, but if I'm under a lot of stress and I'm not sleeping good and I just ended a long-term relationship, maybe now is not the best time for right. a super intense, high-volume cycle. Right, right, right. No, that's 100% true. And then sometimes you see – here's what I, here's my strategy that has always worked well for me is I don't want to just do heavy stuff or impressive stuff. I want to make it look easy. I want someone yep. to see me deadlifting 525 for reps, and not only am I doing it, but there's no grimace on my face. I'm not screaming. I'm making it look easy like it's nothing. That's if, if, if you go into your workouts like that. Now, the intensity is still there. It's just internal. I'm not expressing it and wasting it. I'm internalizing that intensity for better performance. So to the outside world, it looks like it's now to me, it doesn't feel easy. But for to people watching, it looks like, wow, that bar is just floating right up on each rep because you're so focused on what you're doing. And then you avoid it's when you're doing all the screaming and the histrionics and all that. Most of that is just to get attention from other members. Let's be honest. And it does it doesn't improve performance. I mean, it, it's like Mark Phillippe told me that the shouting, like the whoop, you know, that stuff works when you're doing a maximum performance, but you got to time it just right. And you don't do it all the time. You don't do it with your warm up sets. You know, I see people <laughs> in the gym doing pull ups, and on each rep they're like, ooh, ooh. and I'm looking at them going, that's, "What are you doing, man?" That's, <laughs> you know? that's, a, that's a that's a recipe for diarrhea right there, man. <laughs> As you're doing a pull up right there, my while you're going up, other things will be coming down, so it's not going to end well, dude. Well, like Mark, Mark Ripps <laughs> made a good point of saying it, all it is is histrionics where people are trying to get attention. That's all you're doing. He said that like when people deadlift and they just throw the bar down on the ground and he gets yeah. this guy asks him like, what about these people just drop the bar and he's dead? And he gets really close to the guy interviewing and he goes, pussy ass shit, histrionics. And I'm not kidding. <laughs> you know? <laughs> he's right. Now, you're not, you're not going to kiss the floor with the bar when you're lifting heavy weight, but you should be able to control it on the way down. That's why when I'm deadlifting heavy and I'm controlling and I see these kids next to me, they're deadlifting 225 and then they're dropping it. And when they're done from waist level, I'm just looking at them going, what the fuck are you doing? I forget about from the end of the set. It's not like you're competing. It's not like you're competing in the world's strongest man where you got to pretty much let that bar go and so you can preserve some energy because you got other things going on. But if you just add planet shitness and you're doing this, like, come on, man. It's like, what are you doing? (laughs) Well, well, also, also, I'm not saying you should lower it under. I'm not saying you should do a slow negative to lower it back to the ground, but it should be controlled and fast rather than boom. Also, if you're doing repetitions, dropping it and then resetting each rep, that doesn't help that's performance. That, that's what's yeah, that's what screws up your back. Yeah, that is the worst. So again, to my, the moral story, to my our theme of the day, balance. To my everybody's going one end or the other here. It's, just, it's always that in between. It's like it's that darkness between the stars, man. You need to focus on right there, dude. Well, I'll, I'll tell you the problem is that when you have a great workout, right, where you're in this flow state, everything feels light. And you're just crushing it. Doesn't matter how many times you've been in it and out of it. You always think, oh, this is going to be the time that I just stay in it indefinitely. So you go, man, I'm going to come back tomorrow and crush it again. Then I'm going to come back the next day and I'm going to do even more. 
And you go, no, <laughs> that's the wrong way to look at it. You, 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 you want to take a recovery day when you don't even feel like taking a recovery day. Like yesterday, exactly. I didn't feel like taking a recovery day. I felt like working out yesterday. I had to resist the urge to do it. I go, no, don't work out. You pushed it really hard last week. You hit squats hard on Saturday. Take a rest day. Take a rest day tomorrow when you do the podcast with Sincere and Ken. Come back Wednesday. You're going to be ready to go. That is so huge. That is so huge. And I think a lot of athletes, you know, we've kind of talked about this before, you know, exercise really becomes like a physiological addiction because they get that pattern of I go to the gym, I do the damage, I come out, maybe there's endorphins. And even if there's not endorphins, you have that mental victory of I just endured something really hard. Well, they've let it. And then it becomes a pattern. They let that define them, who they are. It's like, this is what I do. I work out. I'm the work I do. This is what I do every day. And that's become their identity. So it's kind of like we were talking about, like before we start recording, about how people in kettlebell sports—that's that's what they've done. But then, once other people start doing other endeavors, and there's nobody around for them to, you know, put up the post of videos and get all the likes they had like a year or two ago, and now it's like two or three people, they start wondering, like, oh, wh- where is everyone? Well, dude, this is all you've ever done. <laughs> you now identified yourself as the kettlebell sport guy, but then when all the other kettlebell sport guys and girls have become other type of girls and guys, you know, there you are by yourself. Now you feel all alone, and it becomes like it becomes this, this whole thing of like coming off of a drug, you know, and it, it, this withdrawal symptom. And then they don't know what right. to do with themselves because you put everything that you had into being this particular thing. And then when that thing is no longer of interest to anyone else, that's why you should do things because they're interesting to you, not to put on the right. show in front of everybody else. Because that's when right. everybody else gets about you, because first of all, people are not loyal. People, this, so we're in an internet society where it's pretty much everybody's, everybody's got squirrel syndrome. They're they're all into something, and all of a sudden, squirrel, squirrel, and then they look away, yeah. and they're done with you. And you know that's why you see so many people like go viral, but then you never hear from them ever again online. Yeah, okay, you know, there's a I ain't got time for that person. They rode that as far as she could take it, but now no one knows who she is and what she's doing. No one cares, right? Because they moved on right. to somebody else going viral. That's the thing. But anytime you go viral, it's not a good thing. Viral, there's nothing good about viruses, man. Okay? <laughs> so, <laughs> there's never always going to be. It's not going to be a good result by being viral in the first place. So Yeah, that that I, that point about the higher purpose is that higher purpose point is a really important one. I mean, just with the podcast, we have fluctuations in numbers, right? We have periods where we're getting a lot of downloads and people are just lighting it up and then we go through periods where it's lighter for who knows what the reasons are. Maybe people have moved on to another show, maybe people just don't care right now, they're busy. It doesn't matter what the reasons are. But the right. most important criterion is do we like doing the show? Right. Is it fun for us? Because if we're just doing it for other people and we're getting guests that they care about but we could give an F about, that's not going to last long. But if we get people on the show that you and I like talking to, it doesn't matter as much if anyone else is listening you know, because we're enjoying right. it. That You want the show to be successful, but it's only going to be successful if you're enjoying it because nobody wants to listen to some boring, contrived show where the people are just dialing it in. It's very formula. I mean, talking to you, Ken, oh, it's great. We're all, we're all good friends. It's awesome to have someone like you on because we're all good friends. So we just jive. We just, we just, we just jive right away. We get into it. You know, last episode, we had a guy that Sincere and I have never met, never talked to, lead singer of Adelita's Way. And he's a super mm-hmm. cool guy, man. The second he started, I mean, the second he started talking, we had to hit the record button because he just came on ready to go. And that was a fun <laughs> episode, man. So what, what's cool about podcasting is we're bringing all of these people into our orbit that we never would have met otherwise. There never would have been a reason for us to meet. It would have just been some freak event. 
And we're bringing them into our orbit in a way where they want to talk to us and we get to talk to them. It's not annoying for anyone. So that to me is the most important thing about doing a podcast. It's what I find most enjoyable. Now, are the promotional things great? Sure. Is it nice when we get feedback from listeners going, man, that was an awesome episode. It had great influence on my life. Sure. Those are all great things. That's all icing on the cake, though. The cake is the process itself. Yep. I would say probably the best, uh, the biggest thing I've learned being an athlete and a coach is that you've got to draw happiness from different buckets. And it's slightly connected to what you just said, where um, I have people that I train, like Sincere said, they they love kettlebell sport because it makes them feel good. But then it becomes the only thing. And they don't really draw happiness (laughs) from anything. But if the training session is good, they're happy. If the training session is bad, they're really upset. And so I'm always stressing to them because I remember doing this with martial arts back in the day. Like if training went good, I was happy. If training went not good, I was not happy. So I'm just always kind of stressing yeah. them. You know, you got to have different buckets in your life because oftentimes one bucket's going to be empty and you're going to need those other buckets to draw from. Maybe that's your family. Maybe that's, you know, taking a course, you know, further in your education. But, you know, if athletics are your only pursuit, um, oh, that's, that's a dark tunnel. Very short-sighted, yeah. man, because that's there's, there's well so said. many interesting things in life out there, man. You'll end up missing all those other things because you're so focused on that one thing. And then, like I said, once that one thing is no longer hitting the way it did in the very beginning, you're lost. You're lost, man. And then and you miss all those other opportunities at the same time. And that's another thing about being too focused because you end up being so, you're just like a laser, man. You're so focused on that one target that you end up missing other targets along the way. They probably had a bigger payoff. May not have a big payoff at that moment, but it'll have one later on down the road. But you missed it, man. You missed it. It's kind of like, you know, trying to put all your money on one stock. Then that stock right. crashes, and then all of a sudden you've lost everything in your account. When you should have been, again, diversifying your portfolio. So, like yeah. I said, you, can always, you need to do that with your life as well. Like you were saying about the buckets. Like, you got to have different buckets in life and putting a little bit here, a little bit there. Like, okay, look, I'm reading up on this. I like this topic. This is a pretty interesting topic. I may not do anything necessarily with it right now, but... Let me just at least dabble in it a little bit and just start building up that knowledge of it or whatever else. Then next thing you know, something might kick in and like, hey, now's the time, man, to really focus really on this topic right here and really go a little bit harder into this. Okay, cool. But at the same time, don't give up all the other stuff you're doing, too, that you're interested yeah. in. I just, life is too interesting, man, for me just to be focused on one thing. You know, and, and I'll get bored really quickly. I'm like, okay, enough is enough. You know, it's like... Shit, it's like uh, no one else. And, and and no one and connected to this too, man. No one went to exit. That's a big one. We talked about this last week, Mike, where there are times yeah. where I've seen this in myself, unfortunately, where I'll could be a relationship. It could be a training goal where I'm like, okay, I'm focused. I, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep going. And, and sometimes that mentality is not good. Sometimes it's it's a very smart thing to go, you know what? This current path that I'm on, it's not working. And I'm exiting. I'm not quitting. <laughs> I'm exiting. Right. I'm trying right. something right. different. Right. You've That's exhausted a great way all it. resources in that in that particular topic at that point. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, life is a. There's a lot of things in life that people try to avoid. Sadness, and I think those are all important components of the full life experience. I mean, I remember when my mother passed away in 2015. That that really messed me up because it was so sudden and it just came out of nowhere, and then. You just you just start realizing that you know who you are with her that relationship is gone. So it, 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 then you have to 
a lot of a lot of the advice people give you is just stay busy and all that, and that's the, the worst advice you can get. Exactly, you, I agree. You got to you got to experience that sadness. So just even now, you know, sometimes I'll be driving, I got to pull off the road because I'll be thinking about her, and it makes me water up a little bit. And I go, let me just pull off the side of the road here because I'm not. It's not safe to drive right now. I remember when my father called me up and told me what happened. He's like, your, your mother had a heart attack. You know, she's gone. And I was I was just coming out of the the osteopath place, getting my left elbow looked at, you know, and I was diagnosed with severe osteoarthritis on that elbow. And this guy's like, oh, I don't think there's anything you can do about it. So I was all pissed off about that. I was like, yeah, screw that guy, man. I'll find another option. And I was, I'm just sitting in my car thinking about it. Then I get the phone. My dad tried to call me 10 times. So I'm like, okay, it must be something important. And then I get that news. And then I was in the middle. And then I was like, well, after I talked to him, of course, you know, you're just in dead silence. You don't even know how to react right. to that. I was like, well, I was going to go run errands. So let me go over to Trader Joe's, pick up some stuff. And then I realized real fast, I need to get the hell out of here because you can't deal with those pleasantries at that moment of, oh, hey, how's things going today? I, I couldn't right. go through the motions of, oh, I'm great. How are you? I just couldn't deal with that. So let me just go home right now. And I think that anyone who's lost a parent, especially when you're really close to you don't really you don't really know how to deal with that. There's no real plan. Like people ask me like how do you deal with that? I go there's really no good answer to that. The only answer that I can give that I think is relevant is whatever whatever you're feeling honestly just go with it. You know if you're really sad just go with it. If you don't want to talk to people, go with that. You don't want to be social, don't go with that. You don't feel like working out right now, go with that. I'm not saying doing it forever, but for in the in the short run that's the genuine feeling you're having. You don't want to suppress that because it's going to come out at some point and it'll probably come out in some time where you don't realize that you could be, you could be in line at TSA that comes out and people are going, what's that right. crazy guy just crying right there? You know, you just don't know. So I, I, I think we, 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 we be, yeah, we've become a society of, we should never be sad. We should never be yep. depressed. You're sad. You need to go to the hospital and, get, and talk to the doctor, get a pill. You're depressed. You need well, to go yeah, get a pill. Exactly. Maybe like the Sufis always said, these are parts of the human experience. Sadness, there's a seed of happiness and sadness. This is what Rumi said, because you wouldn't be sad if it wasn't something so important to you. Exactly. And also that the sadness just wipes out. It just cleans everything out so that something new can come in its place. So, I mean, eventually I got to a place where I go that the best way for me to honor my mother and myself is just be a more compassionate person. Not that I wasn't before, but you can be a more compassionate person. You can be a more empathetic person. And I think one of the biggest problems we have right now with our president is that he has no empathy. That's his biggest character flaw. We can say everything else, everything else we can argue about, but that the lack of empathy is a serious problem. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we can all agree on that one. <laughs> no matter what that's, <laughs> yeah. like, that's not even that has nothing to do with politics. That just has to do with being a human being. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's just like, a, it's just a, it's just a personality trait that is all too evident. But one thing my uh, my my mother's birthday was on the 14th, right? So this month I've been thinking. I mean, I think about her all the time anyway. But this month in particular, I was really thinking about her, and she passed away in August as well. Not on her birthday, but in in the time frame. I read, my uncle wrote a really nice blog post about her and I did. I just happened to come across it. I was doing a search engine for her. I just wanted to get some pictures and I came across it and it's the first time I read it. I, don't, I, I just haven't come across it before. And he said that if my mother were going to take a selfie, it would be a picture of me, my dad and my brother. Like she wouldn't even be in the picture. And she said, I can visualize her best friend, Akilah saying, that's not a selfie. You're not even in the picture. 
And then my mother would respond saying, that is me. They're me. Right. So that gave yeah. me a lot of comfort because wow. it made me, it, it just reminded me that she lives through us, right? The, her, she lives through me. She lives because she has such a big influence on me. Who I am is largely due to her and my brother and my father. And the three of us are still around. So th- right. that made me, that gave me a lot of comfort because in some ways she's still around because the three of us are still around. Yeah. That's yeah. a beautiful way to think about that's it. That's a lesson like pretty much how you want to live your life, man, especially in a selfie generation. You know, it's yeah. more, but but for some reason, usy doesn't sound as cool to people. <laughs> you know, selfie sounds, <laughs> because you've been conditioned to think that selfie is much better. It has a much better ring to it than an usy. You know, which, you know, I like to um um, Mustafa Shakir, like whenever you post, you know, he always has hashtag me, we. And I'm sure a lot of people, when they see that, you know, Mustafa Shakir is the guy that played um, um, Bushmaster in Luke Cage yeah. in the second season yeah. of Luke Cage. Mike and I follow him, you know, really cool guy. <laughs> he has a lot of interesting posts. For a minute there, I thought you meant Beastmaster with Mark Singer, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> somewhat, somewhat similar. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, they both they, they both they both have pictures of themselves naked with a hat over their junk. So I, I guess they have that in common. <laughs> <laughs> that, that guy Mustafa that Sincere's talking about, he put up this picture on Instagram. It's a picture of him butt naked with a picture over himself. He's like, "Hey man, it's my birthday." So I thought I'd post a picture of my birthday suit. I was like, "Well, that wasn't a good idea." <laughs> but you know, tweets their own. Here's an example of what not to do. You know what? You know what? I had that same idea myself until I saw your picture. So thank you. <laughs> now, who posted this? This actor, the Mustafa, who played Bushmaster oh, in the show okay. Luke Cage, oh Luke okay. Cage on Netflix. Yeah. But but one thing you you can appreciate him. He, he's not afraid. To, he's not afraid to laugh at himself. So of course the following <laughs> post, like he's he's like you know he admits it. Yeah, I knew you guys were gonna go all in on me for posting that last picture. But you know sometimes you gotta, <laughs> oh well, <laughs> you know, oh well. <laughs> and yep, now it's on <laughs> the internet and you can't take it back. So it's there now, bro. So you might as well. Oh, I, I guarantee you, a lot of people liked it, both men and women. Oh. <laughs> <So> oh. Overall, <laughs> it was positive for him. <laughs> His inbox was probably inundated. You know that day. Yeah, the DMs were coming, man. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that like he it. and the, the actor who plays Luke Cage, they all joke around with each other quite a bit. You can tell they're friends. Yeah, Mike Coulter. Yeah. Yeah, Mike Coulter. Exactly. Yeah, like I said, man, that hashtag, like, he always puts up that me and we. And I, I know a lot of people, it probably goes over their heads. But again, when you start thinking the fact that, you know, there is no me without we. And I think if more and more of us really start thinking that way, man. Look, I always crack up when I hear these things that are thrown on TV a lot. Somebody, oh, this country, this country's more divided. I just sit there and watch Bill Maher, whatever, which is now just entertainment now. I just like seeing him lose his shit every week over Trump. (laughs) You know, but he's like, when they constantly say that this country's more divided than ever. And someone posted the other day, like, bruh, just like 50 years ago, we had separate bathrooms and separate water fountains. What are you talking about? Exactly. Exactly. More divided than 400 years ago? Come on. Come on, man. To my yeah, to my say that to all the slaves that were around. You know, like Rick from Adelita's Way again. Last week's episode, he's he's like, you know, I hear that on the news all the time how divided we are and all this racial tension. Because, but every day I see people doing nice things for each other, and not just exactly. white people with white people or black people with black people. It's like I see people opening doors for people. I see people helping someone who's got a baby and she's got her hands full and they're gonna offer to take the shopping cart back or carry her groceries. And then we're just saying people saying, "Hey, how you doing?" If you don't see it, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it. 
Like, yeah, in general, I just think, you know, we just need to talk more about good and less about bad. That's a, right. We just need to talk. Right. How about that? But, How about we yeah, we just need to talk. Yeah, we just need to have honest discussions because I think – I think it's okay to talk about your sadness or depression. In fact, I don't think it's okay. I think it's necessary because not only is it good for you, it's good for other people. Like I was telling you, Ken, how at a lot of these seminars, I started talking about my childhood trauma as part of the hormone optimization lecture. And at first people are like, well, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> what does this have to do yeah. with, with hormones? Because they're expecting me to talk about supplements and nutrition and training, which are all important criterion. But your mental health is also a part of your hormonal health because if your mental health is declined, it's because your hormonal messages are flawed. And why are your hormonal messages flawed? Because you have unresolved issues. You know, that's where I was going with this. So I was like, let's go deep. Talk about some real shit. You know, that was my, that was the way I go, look, I'm going to talk about some real stuff here. Some of you people are going to be uncomfortable, but you're just going to have to deal with that because we need to have some candid discussions here. And it went over really well. Now I'm sure some people are going, ah, I don't want to hear this, but that's because they need to hear it. You know, they're uncomfortable yeah, because, because that's they need to the mirror. They don't yeah, want to process that mirror up, They don't want to look. Yeah. You know, they're like, oh, man, because it's making them actually have to now remove all the distractions. Now they have to actually think because one thing about it, that's why I always laugh the whole divided thing. Look, man, we're more connected than we probably care to admit because we're humans right. going through the same crap, man. It's just it's dressed up differently. But when you remove all of the clothes from all of it, at the end of the day, we're all stripped down. We're the same thing. We're all going through the same issues. You can label it and call it whatever you want. We're all dealing with the same stuff. It's because right. it's stuff. That's what it is. So instead of people always trying to tell you how you feel, how you should feel, people, I feel like we need to ask more questions and quit trying to come up with all the solutions. Cause that, right. And then guess what? That'll, that whole little perception of all this division goes away. Because instead of sending like, oh, man, this person's against that person, you need to ask that person, why do you feel that way? Why do you feel like I'm against you? Why do you feel like I'm, you know, that you, you're probably against me? Let's talk about it. And I'm pretty sure by the end of the conversation, you both realize, like, you know what? We were both full of shit. And basically, that was, <laughs> those, weren't even, those weren't even our thoughts. That's stuff that's been planted in our heads and made us think that that's the way it was. And that's why I was, when people talk about how, you know, oh, this is really bad here. I'm like, when you start talking about things like that, it shows that you're not well-traveled either. Right. All it takes is right. travel to other places and you realize just how good you do have it here. Now, trust me, it's not perfect, but no place is perfect. As long as you're yeah. breathing, it's not going to be perfect. So my, probably the most perfect thing in life is actually death. <laughs> and, and people think that's so morbid, but I'm like, why is it morbid? Because you've been trained to think that death is morbid. I'm like, dude, it's necessary. And so my, you die every day. So whoever you were yesterday, you, hopefully you're not that person that you, you're not that person today. You die a million deaths on all the yeah. time, but everybody likes to focus on the grand death, the big one, you know, and even when that one happens, you won't know about it because you're going to be dead. <laughs> so my, even during the process, we, we, we don't, with all of our technology, we still don't know what really happened. So for all we know, it could no. be way better. And you're going, shit, man, I should have died a long time ago. I could have been, <laughs> I could have been like this. I could have been hanging out with Marilyn Monroe up here like 30 years ago. Like damn. And I do got to jump in at this <laughs> point since here everything. Go ahead, Ken. Jump in, man. Jump in. I was going to say since here everything you just said was beautiful, man. But at the same time, you you sounded exactly like Carl Weathers. And Rocky Three, nope, Rocky Four. We <laughs> <laughs> warriors, tell you. <laughs> anyway, I heard it. But go ahead. No, I think the mistake a lot of people make is, and, and here's a phrase: sincere loves, and here's the one that is the opposite of the one he loves. But it, a lot of people, it's a lot easier to engage in cognitive dissonance than it is cognitive reframing. And cognitive reframing is where you grow dramatically as a person because you're able to take seemingly negative events. And it's not even so much turning it into a positive, but 
using it as fuel to be more positive, to be a better person. And I, when, when I started sharing things about in my book and then also at some of these hormone optimization lectures, I found that my attitude was if one person benefits out of all these courses where I share this, that'll be enough. And I had quite a few people who reached out who benefited. I had one lady who wanted to talk to me one-on-one -on -one after the lecture and just share her experiences. And she went on to do some empowering stuff with that. And I go, that's it. That's Authenticity is something that people are in desperate need of. And it's also something that people are very attracted to. We were talking about Nate Diaz, why people like them so much. Because authentic. They're authentic. That's who they are. Even Connor, that's who he is. He's authentic. Yeah, he's a showman and all that, but that's an authentic part of his personality. He's also a cool right. guy one-on-one -on -one when people meet him, right? It's, it's all consistent, though. But people love, that's why he's such a big star. It's not, if you, if you were just faking this persona, he wouldn't be a big star. That's who he is. He's really that cocky and that confident. And that's attractive to a lot of people. So we, we crave authenticity. And, and, and we all have this sense of when someone's lying, when it's fake, like they're trying too hard. They're like, okay, you know, you, you keep talking about how confident you are, but if you really were, you wouldn't have to keep talking about it. And the people that are attracted to that, they're also liars. Come on. So they feel comfortable right. because they're like, oh, this, these are my people. You know, I'm like, this person's living a lie just like me. So they feel very comfortable being around people like that. But if you're someone that's very authentic, you make people like that very uncomfortable. And right. kind of getting back to what you said about the reframing thing, you know, there's another term for that. It's called doing shadow work, man. It's like looking right. at your traumas, looking at your issues or whatever, and not running from them, but actually, you know, facing them head on and realizing, like, look, man, like I put that post the other day. It's just like, look at man. <laughs> this too shall pass. Yeah, it may pass like a kidney stone, but it shall pass. And that's the thing about any issue that you've gone through, man. It's like, yeah, it's going to be a little rough or whatever, but you get through it. You, at the end of the day, one of two things is going to happen. You're either going to get through it, or if you do die, you got through it. So it still works either way. So just go ahead and deal with it, man. Don't try to run from it because at the end of the day, it's still going to be sitting there waiting for you. No matter what, you can keep running, 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 but you're going to end, it's going to find a way to show up some way, somehow, and you might as well just go ahead and knock it out the park, get it over with, deal with it, and and, and move forward. Because that's the only thing you can do is move forward. You can keep looking right. back all you want, but it doesn't mean anything. It's not going to yeah. change anything because it's the past. Life's going to move forward whether yeah, life's going to move forward whether you do or not. Yeah, it's just going to pass you right by whether you do or not. And I think being authentic with yourself is a heck of a lot easier when you've got truth tellers around you. So like right. you're constantly surrounding yourself with people, and I think. You know, a lot of people are very well-intentioned, and they really believe that, hey, I'm going to say nothing but positive things. I'm not even going to think anything <laughs> that could be dark going on with me. And they're well-intentioned, but we all know that's not a good way to live. But if you also surround yourself with people that are constantly catering to your ego, they don't say no, they don't challenge you on stuff, uh, and in general, they don't call you on your shit, then, you know, that's not going to help you, you know, to be any more authentic. And I couldn't agree with you guys more. That's, that's a huge thing. And I think a lot of people are scared of it, and they're scared of it because they think, well, if people know things about me that I went through or the things that I struggle with in the past or now, they're going to be turned away. And I think it's the exact opposite. I mean, you don't want to overdo it and just talk about it every day. But, I, you know, I think yeah. bringing it up, and it, it inspires other people to do the same. And also, well, that's a good point, what you said about not doing it every day. Shit. A lot of people don't want to call people on their shit because they're afraid those people are going to call them on their shit. So it's like, yeah. I'll be quiet and they'll leave That's me alone. 100% so, true. Yeah. If I sit over here and mind my business, then you won't notice me. It's kind of like, it's kind of like back when you were in school and it's just like, you didn't want to sit in the front row because you always felt like you would be the person called. It's like going to a comedy club. 
You don't want to sit on the front yeah. row of the comic. You no. know. You definitely don't meet. there. <laughs> if you're sitting in the back where they can't see you, then you feel you're, like you're a little safe. Until that bastard picks up the mic and starts walking in the crowd. And that's when you <laughs> Trust me, when he picks up that mic and starts walking in the crowd, trust me, there are a lot of buttholes tightening up when he does that, man. Because it's like, I mean, you, imagine, you, know what look, you know what they're looking for, too, is they're looking for the guy or girl that's not making eye contact, that's turning away. Exactly. You, know, you know what I do in that situation? I look that person dead in the eye the entire time. Dead in the eye. I'm not hiding from you one bit, man. It's like, no, I don't want to be pulled up on stage. But, but if I'm going to be pulled up on stage, I'm going to be pulled up on stage like a man. I'm not going to be pulled up on stage, you know, cowering over here. That's for sure. I remember, uh, like, when Carol and I first moved to Las Vegas, we went, we went and saw Tony Braxton. We were in the front row. I didn't, you know, this is a concert, so I didn't think anything of it. And uh, Tony Braxton likes to pull people up on stage. So she, she, <laughs> She looked at me dead in the eye and she pulled me up on stage and I was like, all right, fuck it. I didn't really want to go on stage, but I jumped up on stage quickly. Like Carol joked with me later. She's like, yeah, you jumped up on stage real fast. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, I didn't want to be that guy. Carol's like, wait a minute, you, you jumped on stage a little too fast. Like, okay, yeah. don't forget who you went home with. You need to slow down. Yeah. Tony Braxton looked at me pointing her fingers. She's like, get up here, young man. And then she's like, uh, yeah, she's like, yeah, let's do your moves. And then Carol, of course, is cringing at this point because, and I, I kid you not, I was very close to doing the Kosak one-legged squat dance. I was just about to do it. But I looked at her <laughs> and she looked at me like, don't even think about doing that. And I was like, all right, I can't do it. But I, I, that, that's one of my regrets though. I really wish I did do it because that place would have gone nuts. <laughs> you know, they wouldn't have expected that at all. This was before people had cell phones and all that. But I guarantee you, if people had cell phones and they filmed that, that would have been one of those viral videos because Tony Braxton's expression would have been like, what the hell is going on here? You know, it would have been so unexpected. <laughs> but anyway, I, I did something that clearly didn't look good because the, the the guy what's the name of the guy Carlton the guy who played Carlton from the Fresh Prince of Bel Air oh, he was yeah. in the row behind <laughs> us and that guy was and that guy was cracking up and I was like shit if you're laughing at me <laughs> you know? I'm good <laughs> so then so then Tony's like she's like okay just stand there she's like just stand right there she gets in front of me and she just she pushes her ass up up against my crotch and just starts wiggling around I was like Jesus man. You know, you're going to get me killed up here. You know? And she's like, oh, thanks a lot, young man. And then she's, I sit back down. And then she pulls this old guy up maybe 20 minutes later. And this guy's probably 90 years old, right? She pulls this guy up. Of course, she acted a lot different with this guy, meaning she's all grabbing his ass and, you know, touching him up. And, of course, this guy's loving it. You know, this this guy's like, yeah, man, I'll take this He's like, I'll take this me, he's like, I'll take this me too treatment, you know, any day of the week. This guy's all cloud died. <laughs> But whenever, yeah, whenever I see practice. people sweating bullets, no, whenever I see people sweating bullets when they're about to get pulled up on stage, I'm just there thinking that's the wrong strategy, man, because that's what they're looking for. A friend of mine, Mike Hammer, he was on the podcast. He does, he pulls people up on stage at his events. And whenever he's walking around, like Sincere said, he takes the microphone, he's walking around. Whenever he sees people turning away, he goes, just because you're turning away doesn't mean I can't see you. <laughs> you're visible. <laughs> There have been times where people try to get me to do stuff. The other thing is you don't have to say yes. I mean, we were at a Circus Soleil event one time, and this, this one court jester type guy who entertains you in between acts, he came running out, and he he tried to grab me and move me to another seat. I was like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. He's like, come on. I was like, no. I was like, I don't, you, know, you, you can either. I was like, I'm just going to stand here and tell you no. You're not going to embarrass me to do anything. I was like, I don't want to do that. And then he like then he took like a water gun out. He took a water gun out and like squirted it at me because he had to get the last move, right? You know, otherwise – Otherwise, I'm taking away his power. Then he moved on. I was like, you can squirt water at me all you want, man. You know, 
victory is mine because I didn't do what you wanted me to do. I, th- I think sometimes when people are put on the spot, they feel like they have to just, you know, they, they, they're so embarrassed and uncomfortable, they just go with it. I was like, no, I'm not going with that. I mean, at this one show, Absinthe, this one guy was making fun of this dude, the, the guy who the emceed the whole event. This is a Circus Olay type, sexually charged type event. I mean, this is a R-rated, R-plus rated, possibly X-rated type show. And he got this guy to stand up and kiss him on the lips just because he asked him to. And this guy was there with his fucking girlfriend. At least that's what it looked like. She's probably not his girlfriend anymore. And I was like, dude, you're out of your fucking mind. And, and th- these people have a sixth sense of who they know they can get. I guarantee you, if I were sitting in that seat, he wouldn't even have tried. And if he did, I'd be like, fuck no, I'm not getting up. <laughs> you know, I'm certainly not kissing you on the mouth, motherfucker. <laughs> That's definitely not happening. But it's amazing what 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 people will do when they feel uncomfortable. I remember at the old RKCs, you know, Pavel would pull people up in front of the room or in front of the group and be like, "Okay, we're going to work on this height. We're going to work on the height tension technique now." And he'd be like, "Okay, press the kettlebell you normally would." He's like, "Now squeeze your butts, compress your abs, squeeze the handle, press it up, power breathing." <laughs> you know? And then he's like, he's like, how do you feel? And of course, the person would always say, oh, I feel way stronger. And then everyone starts clapping. Yeah, what a difference. I'm like, okay, did you really feel stronger? I didn't see you do more reps. I didn't see you lift a weight that you couldn't have lifted before. But people are so right. uncomfortable. What, what are you going to say in that situation? Nah, I don't feel a difference. I felt my ass tighten up, and that was about it. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's it, bro. That's all I got. My ass is tighter yeah. right now. <laughs> Not because of the I, I always put people up in front of the room for another reason, right? Rather than putting someone with bad, te- rather than someone has bad technique and you're going to put that person on the spot in front of the room, I always felt that was a flawed strategy. What I would do is the opposite. I would see someone with great technique and I'd be like, hey, come up here real quick. I was like, this person's got exactly. badass technique. Check this out. Now that person feels great. Everyone watching is like, wow, that's cool. Takes the focus right. off of me. So it's not just the Mike Mahler show of like, wow, Mike's demonstrating exercise. Looks great. Put the spot on some other people. You know, let them have Absolutely. a little limelight. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, that's, that's definitely a good way to play it. I mean, the emotion of the room is completely different. If you call out the person that's making mistakes, and what you're really doing is you're just embarrassing somebody in a public setting. But if yeah, you compliment cool. somebody in a public setting, it always works out good. Right. I mean, sometimes I would say, look, if anyone's having problems, just, just come on up. We'll work on your technique. And then people would volunteer themselves. I wouldn't just grab somebody, though. I wouldn't be like, hey, you, your clean technique sucks. Come on up real quick. Yeah, we're going to work <laughs> <Right>. on that. <laughs> and then I would give them a round of hands. I'd be like, hey, great effort, much better. You know, leave on a high note. So I think there's, there's this another part of our culture of forget about people humiliating others, right? That we all are perfectly cognizant of. There are people who volunteer to humiliate themselves for attention. And just because they're willing to humiliate themselves doesn't mean that you should allow it. Exactly. Yeah, that's very, very, it's very predatory. You know, it's just like straight up. It's like like the dog that knows like pretty much who's the weak one. So they're going to go and bark and try to attack him or whatever else. But when the one stands up against them, it's kind of like, ah, that dog's like, I'm good. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to bark, but I'm going to bark from way over here behind this fence. (laughs) Okay. Where it's a little bit safe. You know, that's the thing, man. So it's just, that's just that animalistic like instinct. And it's like, oh, you pray, you know, when you know someone's weaker and you feel like, you know, you're the one that's the alpha or whatever else, you're going to pray upon them. But, you know, to be the real alpha is to make the decision like, Okay, I see that I can overpower this this person and you know and be a little overwhelming. I'm gonna back off and make them be okay, make them feel okay. Right. Because I don't need to do that to prove anything to myself. I know who yeah. I am, so I don't have to be the one that's the predator. 
Mm-hmm. But just know, just like even in a setting, just like if you're out there, like we always talk about when you walk around as far as self-protection, you know, don't walk around being a mark, you know, for for a criminal. Right. You know, they, and they know which ones to go after. They know which ones to leave alone. They just it, again, that animal instinct kicks in. They just know like if you walk around confident, you don't have your face in your phone or I say got your head in your apps. If you're not sitting there with your head down or whatever <laughs> else and you're, you're looking people right in the eye like you were talking about with the comedian. You know, you look him right in their eye. They just kind of like, okay, first of all, this dude made me. He can, if he needs to describe to the police who I was, he can do that because he saw me. I didn't, I right. can't surprise him now. So I'm going to look for someone who is less likely to make me out and, you know, and pretty much can testify against me or whatever else. And someone that's not ready to defend themselves. I don't know. This dude looked at me. He could be in a position to defend himself. He knows something. And so if something tells you to leave that person alone, you want to be right. that person. No one's going to walk around with your oh, yeah. chest all out and look at people like, what are you looking at? Because guess what? That makes a, <laughs> that makes a predator actually want to attack you. Because yeah, that's a mark, too. <laughs> now, yeah, now you're a mark for someone who wants to fight. Yeah, someone's going, you know what? I want to go get into a fight with somebody. Oh, that guy looks like he wants, he's, he's ready to get down. So let's exactly. go pick on him. Exactly. So you, you got to. It's again, interesting, too. The perception up. of alpha as the predator, I think, is some, sometimes screwed up because I think there was a study, and maybe you told me about it, Mike, but there was a study yeah. with wolves, and they okay. kind of found that the alpha wolf is actually the most compassionate. You know, he's the dude that's taking care well, of the Well, we talk about that all the time. Yep. We talk about and, that all the time on the show. The alpha, the alpha human is the same way. Yep. Absolutely. And I, I think some people get that alpha thing confused, and they're like, well, alpha means you're the toughest. No, if you're the alpha, you're the leader. And leadership comes with a lot of stuff. Well, I'll give you a good example, man. My friend Josh Franklin, you met him, Ken, when you were out here. We all, we all ate oh, yeah. at that Indian restaurant. He's the same guy that went through Tim Kennedy's. He was, he's good friends with Tim Kennedy. They went through special forces together. Anyway, he's a, he's a legitimate badass on multiple fronts, right? He's got an MMA background, high-level military background. This, this guy can fuck people up. Now, he's the nicest guy you'll ever meet. I played blackjack with him. He'd be talking to everyone at the table and cracking jokes and making everyone feel good about being there. And I would see him do that everywhere he went. Always being a really cool guy, very respectful when he talks to women. When he was single and talking to women to pick them up, he was a really cool guy. He wasn't making crass jokes and acting like an idiot. That's the way he always carried himself. And he's he's, he's a consummate alpha male on multiple fronts, but he's the coolest guy. We went to a concert one time. And uh, this guy was trying to offer him a drink, and he said no. And then this guy fell over. <laughs> he, was, he was drunk, and this, he broke this bottle everywhere, and it almost hit his wife. You know, he he pulled her out of the way just in the nick of time. And then you could tell right there for a split second he was thinking, I'm going to F this guy up for that. And then he right. thought about it, and he's like, you know what? It was an accident. This guy's drunk. He didn't have any Ill, Ill intention. And he stopped. And he just said, right, look, exactly. man, I said no. Just back off. And no harm done to his – I mean, if, if it actually hurt his wife, that would have been a different scenario probably, but it didn't. And he, and he just assessed the situation immediately and made the right move. You know, so that, and then he's a guy he – can, he can fuck up most people anywhere he goes, but he doesn't have right. to. And he doesn't want to either. Forget, forget about it that he doesn't have to. He doesn't want to. That's not what he's all about. He's a compassionate mm-hmm. guy. Now, now this guy's in nursing. and he, Yeah. So, I mean, this, the, I've been around quite a few people that are – I mean, we've had Ty Ritter on the show. He's about as alpha as you get. This guy puts right. himself in harm's way to, to rescue kids from the most nefarious people you can imagine. By any He's the nicest, soft-spoken guy. He's a super nice, humble guy, very soft-spoken. He's not a bully. He doesn't come on the talk show like, yeah, man, you know, we went in there and we fucked them up and we rescued all those kids. He doesn't talk like that. Right. Like I said, man. Yeah, I think, love, yeah, I think that there's a quote out there that, 
you know, I think there's a quote out there that says, you know, those most skilled at violence tend to be the most peaceful. And I, and yeah. that's been my experience. I've met a lot of fighters. I've met a lot of people in the military and my friends in the military that did time, saw action. They're amongst the nicest people I've ever met. And same with fighters. There's a stereotype that all fighters are, maybe they're not articulate, you know, maybe they're all fighting in bars at night. But in my experience, those guys do exist, but they're few and far between. Yeah. For the most part, yeah. your legitimate badasses are cool people. Look, man, look, you know, I always hear, you know, every time, like, again, <clears throat> even getting back just in the gun world, anytime there's a tragedy or whatever, like, a lot of people, you know, look, man, to my law-abiding citizens are probably the the most, the nicest people you're going to see. You know why? Because you have to be a polite society. When you know is you have within a couple inches away from you the power to take a life, you know, which which with, with, that can be with anything, even with a car that can happen, but you still have to be responsible enough. Like, dude, you have to really choose your battles because in this, it's not a day that goes by when I'm driving or whatever else. There's some idiot on the road. He's cutting people off. He's, you know, throwing the finger up or whatever. He's getting road rage. <laughs> I just let him go by because it's like, exactly. I have, I, I have to make the choice. You know, it has, it really comes back to Voltaire, you know, talking about, you know, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. You know, and that's the thing. I was like, okay, dude, you don't understand. Like, could have easily engaged you, and it could have been bad for one of, for both of us. Actually, no matter how it ended up, over your life or whatever, you lose your life by going to prison or whatever. But the thing is, you, the more and more skilled you are, the more and and you truly know what you can do, the less likely you want to do it. You really don't want to have to do any of those things unless it's absolutely completely necessary. Whether it's martial arts, you know, self defense whatever man hell even just being intelligent like you know the more and more knowledge you get the less like you can sit there and make them belittle someone to make them feel stupid because right. you're going to realize you'll think like there was a time when you didn't know what you knew so yeah. i always get upset yeah. when these instructors or these trainers are like have clients and then when the client is not getting something or the you know the student's not getting something they get frustrated with them and they get a little snappy i'm like dude there was a time when you didn't know what you knew calm the fuck down Okay, so and realize you need to dial it down a little bit and you need to put yourself in their shoes and come off your high horse and quit acting like you're the high and mighty that knows it all and about this particular thing. They came to you because they trusted you. So don't betray that trust by trying to make them feel shitty because they don't well, know what you know. It also right. shows that people who learn things quickly, like things come to you very easily, those kind of people are never good teachers because they don't no. understand the struggle that goes with it. People see me where I'm at now, they, they assume that I'm one of those people. Things just came to me easily, but that's not the case. When I first started doing strength and conditioning, I was very weak. I was very awkward. I was never an athlete in high school or earlier than that. So the whole thing was very uncomfortable, uncomfortable to me. It didn't come easily at all. So I can really empathize with people when I see them in that situation. I get it. I go, look, I've been where you are, but you should be inspired by hearing that because it means you can get to where I am or even go further. We all start. Yep. Most of us start in that situation where we're not good at stuff. And then, for a lot of us, that's actually motivating because you want to get good at it. You're like, man, I suck at this, but I want to get good at it. So I'm going to go through the process to get good at it. Yeah, it's always amazing to me like when you have those people who are so caught up in the ego and they want to belittle somebody. I'm like, let me ask you something. When you have a baby that's trying to learn how to walk, when that baby busts his ass, he's like, oh, look at you, you little dumb motherfucker. You bust your ass. <laughs> <laughs> no, what do you do? He's like, when a baby's trying, they fall like, oh, it's okay. Come on, try again. You're encouraging them. I'm like, what changed? <laughs> what happened? You know, why, why all of a sudden that, that, that empathy, empathy stopped, you know, once they become adults? Because guess what? At the end of the day, we're all, when it comes to learning something new, we're all babies. At right. the end of the day, man. 
So why you sitting there like, oh, you dumbass? How do you not know how to do a deadlift correctly? I'm like, really? <laughs> and even if you think that you know how to do it correctly, it may not be the only way to do it correctly. That might be the way that works for you. That's another thing that really sucks for people that really are talented and things come easy to them. And that's the reason why you see in a lot of sports how these top athletes make the worst coaches because oh, yeah. they're the ones that pretty yeah. much they were number one. But you always see the guy that pretty much some of these top coaches they you forget that they actually played the sport because you're like man how is like I'll take for instance even like with the Houston Rockets back in the nineties Rudy Tomjanovich you know people almost forget that he actually played in the NBA but he sucked you know but the reason why he's such a good coach and actually coached the Rockets to two championships back to back minus the fact that Michael Jordan didn't play those seasons it was the fact that you know Rudy <laughs> rolled the pine so much. By being on the sidelines all the time, you get to absorb everything. You get to see how these other coaches, your coach, you know, connects with the players. You get to see how these top athletes, how their behavior is and how you have to deal with them, how you have to talk to them, how you have to encourage them when things are going bad. Because, again, going back to what Ken was saying about some of these people in kettlebell sport, or, you know, when they get so attached to training, when they have good days, they're on a high. But when they have a bad day, it seems like everything is going wrong. You know, when you sit on the sidelines and you observe these type of things with these top athletes, you know how to get into their psyche and how to deal with them mentally when they're really feeling like, oh, I'm not getting today. I'm a failure. No, you're not a failure. You're having a bad day. You know, that comes with it. But you know how to say that without being condescending to them. You know right. how to adjust their ego. So that's what's, what's happening at that time. That's the ego talking, you know, and these expectations as well, because a lot of these guys and ladies have so much riding on them being at the top. You know, hell, they probably got all these hangers on, all this family and all these people like, you're making millions, take care of us, blah, blah. If they get injured or if they're not playing well and then there's a chance they may lose their job, then these people feel like they're going to lose their job, which is being a moocher. So, you know, but the thing is, these people feel like they, they owe these hangers on everything because in their mind, they think like they were with me from the start, from the very beginning, and I have to take care of them. So, of course, they get really down on themselves when things are not working out because they feel like they're not going to let their team down. They're going to let their family down, everybody and their fans down. And, you know, but at the end of the day, you're human, dude. But when you've been riding the pine, you understand how to deal with people when they're going through things like that. And so that's the reason why you see some of these second, third, fourth string people when during their professional careers who you probably didn't even know they played. That's why they make such great coaches. You know, some of these guys who are like some of these instructors make the best trainers or instructors because they were not top athletes. So they, they wouldn't have that. They didn't feel like. They didn't. They weren't at the top of their game, or they didn't play sports at all. But at the same time, they were around people who did, so they understand the language. They understand the language. Well, you're, you're, you're always going to be better when things don't come easily to you, right? Like someone who wants to tell you how to be a financial success, it's always going to be. It's better when it's someone who wasn't a financial success and then learned how to become one, rather than exactly. someone that benefited from nepotism, right? Like I'm, I'm not going to go to Donald Trump Jr. on how to build a big company. You know, he inherited. But on the flip side of that, Donald on Trump the flip side of that, though, here's the issue I had in college. You know, you got all, um, the majority of people that are uh, professors teaching in business school have not started one business. <laughs> so that's, what college, that's, college, do, that's college in general, regardless of the topic, right? <laughs> like religious, religious studies. I took courses from people. Look, man, I, I almost took a course from a guy, an Indian guy who was teaching a class on Gandhi. And then I saw this motherfucker eating a hamburger in the luncheon and I dropped that class. <laughs> Because for those that don't know, cows are sacred in that culture. Man. So, yeah, and Gandhi was a vegetarian, and he believed in ahimsa principles and all that. Now, I'm not saying that – I'm not making a judgment on this guy eating a hamburger. It's just that I don't want to learn about Gandhi from this dude because Maybe. clearly none of the principles of this guy's life have – he hasn't picked up any of those and put it into his own life. Now, contrast that with 
my mentor in religious studies, this guy named Art Bueller. I learned about Sufism, Hinduism, and so forth from him. Now, I, I, to this day, I still don't know what his own religious beliefs are, but I can tell that what he has learned and studied in all the countries he's been to has had a profound effect on his worldview. It's changed him for the better. It's self-evident. So that's way more appealing to me. So call, that, that's what you just brought up is endemic of college in general, regardless of the topic. But it's, it, it's, more, it's, it's more amplified when it's business because it just comes off ridiculously critical when you're going to tell me how. Remember that, remember that movie, Back to School, Ken, and with uh, Rodney Dangerfield? Rodney Dangerfield. Where there's that scene. Yeah, there's that scene where he's taking that business class and the professor is going, yeah, we're going to sell widgets. And, <laughs> and then Dr. Rodney Dangerfield is like, look, man, you're not going to be able to run a business this way. First, you've got to pay off these <laughs> mafia guys. Then you've got to get this license. You've got to get this. You've got to get that. And he's like, oh, we don't do that here. He's like, so where are we going to sell this? He's like, how about Fantasyland? Fantasyland. <laughs> <laughs> so he's the high school dropout. Classic. And he's in college and he's taking these classes. Yeah, he's taking these classes and he's going, guys, man, you guys are so far removed from reality. You have no clue what it's like out there. A guy who built a successful business. And I don't think they were actually trying to be deep in that movie, but that scene happened to, <laughs> it happened to come off really brilliantly because it illustrated the difference between what you learn in the academic world and what's actually applicable. It's kind of like, well, going to like a bank the there's a financial manager that wants to tell you about, Hey, I want to help you with your financial planning. I'm like, okay, you work in a bank. Okay. We're going to start right there. Okay. Let's start right there, dude. So basically what you're going to do is try to convince me on taking out a bunch of loans and going in debt. Is that what you really Because the only way this bank is going to stay in business is if I continue to take out loans and you get interest. But if I'm actually really going to be a, you know, get my financial plan together and really make a profit, whatever else. I'm a, I'm really not going to need you or this bank, which puts and it puts you in a position where you're not in the best position to be working here because it's not going to benefit you if someone like me is successful with my financial planning the way it should go because you're going to become obsolete, which means you're going to need another job or you need to actually go out and do something on your own. So who are you to try to tell me how to really work on my financial plan? Yeah, I'm so, like, nah, I got a, I got a stripper friend who takes care of my financial plan. <laughs> <laughs> So if anyone knows about making money and how to really build wealth, that stripper knows. Okay. Well, you, yeah, you, you want to get up and down. Somebody's had a struggle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she understands the ups and downs of life in the business in general. Well, like, you know, you look at boxing, I would say, like, all the infamous coaches, you look at, like, Customato, Eddie Futch, Angelo Dundee, these are guys that were never right. high-level fighters, but I think they wanted to be. And they struggled, right. and they had tough training sessions. They went back home. They reflected, what can I do different? Right. Whereas you see a lot of gifted fighters. I'm not saying they're not smart, but a lot of gifted fighters, they're always kicking everybody's ass in training. And, you know, right. maybe the, a lot of those fighters coming up literally never had adversity in sparring until they lost that big fight. Yeah. Well, I think it's I, one of the reasons why John Jones. I, I think it's lots of losses. Yeah, I think it's one of the reasons why John Jones gets into a lot of trouble because it, it a lot of this stuff fighting it comes so easily to him and he's not to say that he doesn't work hard I'm sure he does but it comes easily to him and he picks up the, I mean look just look at him when he started doing powerlifting the guy went from nothing to a 600 pound deadlift in a couple months in no time it was ridiculous he's squatting 500 pounds and he's six foot four he's got these twig legs you know right. I mean and it happened within a short time frame just fucking around he's like yeah I'm gonna try this powerlifting stuff see how that goes. <laughs> you know, he's like, imagine if you really committed to it, he'd be, he'd be deadlifting 700 or more. But that, that's just an example. So I think what happens is that he go, he fights Gustafson, didn't even go through a training camp. And it was a tough fight for him, but he won. 
you know, so I mean, it's, I, I think sometimes when things come too easily for you, you start balancing the equation by effing up in other ways. Oh yeah. And John's I mean, an interesting. Let me go, let me go try some things I'm not good at. You know, like you know, driving while high. <laughs> you know, so, like dude, like you're to, for you to get into an accident like that in Albuquerque, dude. It, it takes a lot of effort, right there. I'm like, I've been there. It's like, it's not like there's high traffic or whatever else like here in Houston or something like that. It's like, dude, you really were really trying to press the issue of just like, oh, I'm unbeatable. I can do whatever I want, and let me just try to test the limits here. And then it's like, oh snap. Oh, okay. I hit someone. Oh, is she pregnant? Okay, let me get out of here. <laughs> oh, I forgot my money. Let me go back and get my money out of the truck and get out of here. <laughs> again, this is like, come on, man. It's like, again, you start really pushing the issue. You really start seeing like, okay, what am I not good at? No, let me try this. That's why people end up getting in trouble all the time, man. It's just like, well, if I can get away with that crime too, then I'll, I, hey, there's well, no we, we, all, we all have a, a part of us that's self-destructive and it's you can fall into that trap. You, you could be someone who doesn't think you're self-destructive at all. A lot of people come to <laughs> Vegas with this notion of, you know, I don't have a gambling problem. I've never gambled before. I don't have any problem yeah. with drugs, alcohol, prostitution. And then they become completely addicted to all those things and ruin their entire lives. So a lot of people fall into that category. But Ken, you were about to say something about John. You were going to interject something. Well, I was going to say, yeah, John's a real interesting guy because, like, you see, like, he does, he definitely makes some bad decisions, and I'm sure he wouldn't even debate that. But you also see, even though he's very gifted and it seems like the athletic stuff has came very easy to him, he still can grind. You've seen oh, him I'm in sure those he fights, yeah. and he grinds it out. And, you know, no doubt. from what I've heard, no when he does train, he trains hard. But And I think there's also that other variable of he was a young guy who kind of went from zero to a hundred, like really quick, had a Nike sponsorship. Right. And I think when you're that young, it's it's probably a real statement and a, a valid statement to say he just wasn't ready for the fame. No doubt about it. I mean, he was 22, 23. He didn't have people around him necessarily giving him good advice. But even if you do have people around you giving you good advice, it doesn't mean you're going to follow it. I mean, you're 22. At that oh, yeah. age, you know, you don't have life experience to <laughs> to have wisdom yet, but you think you're an adult and you think you know what you're doing. And <laughs> that's usually where some mistakes are around the corner, which is okay. That's part of growing up. You just don't want to have these ever vocal, but you don't want to have these mistakes that you can't take back. I mean, with John, that lady could have died, that pregnant lady. And then that's the end. Not only is that the end of his career, he's in prison. So it's, you got to be careful in life, man. Making mistakes is all a part about making life. But sometimes you can be so reckless that you make a mistake where you, you didn't have any ill intentions. You weren't trying to hurt anyone, but someone did get hurt. As a but somebody of, still gets hurt. Of your actions, yeah. And, and that's you where you see that repeat that. pattern with them, and that's where that's the perfect word, Mike, reckless. You're yeah. like, and you just want to say, you know, you've got all this talent. Why are you being so reckless? And we know you're not ill-intentioned, but you're well, hurting I think, yourself. You're hurting other people. You're making the sport true. look bad. You're making your team look yeah. bad. And it's hurting you more and your family more than anyone else. And I think, but I think with this last drug test, that was more of a freak event than I think he so actually too. used something. Yeah, I, I, it's hard to to argue with anyone about that given his history because it's like, come on, man, how naive are you? But when you look at the evidence, and even this guy Novisky said it himself. He goes, they're basically trying to find a way to clear John because it doesn't add up. You know, they're looking at it, going, look, we did all the tests, but he only failed one. It doesn't make sense that he would take that substance at that time and in such a trace amount. Now, if he could find the – if it were a tainted supplement and he could find that supplement, which he He's hasn't yet, that would clear it immediately. I mean, it wouldn't clear it immediately, but it's, he's already been out for a year and a half, so he probably would 
at the very worst, have a few more months to go before he's reinstated. But if you can't find the source, then they have to decide, okay, what is going to be the penalty here? Because we don't know where this came from. We can't say it was a tainted supplement. All we can say is it's reckless. Now, then they have to, do, and then given his his previous history, that's what makes it worse for him. If this were the first time this had ever happened, he probably would have been reinstated already. But given his previous history, they're going, well, look, this is this is this, he's a multiple offender on this front. Now we can say it wasn't intentional, but because he's a multiple offender, we have to do something about it. Exactly. And I think you're right. I think this last time, I think he was clean. Um, and I think maybe the previous times, you know, it was a genuine mistake. And I think this time it was just a, I guess, bad luck, tainted supplement. But if you can't produce the tainted supplement. Luck. It just sucks because it takes away. People are going, oh, that's the only reason why he beat Cormier, which is so stupid. I disagree yeah, now. He beat Cormier because he's a superior fighter. That's just it. He beat him twice. All right. And he, and he knocked his fucking head off the second time they fought after being out of action for you know two years almost. I mean, he dominated him. No one's ever beat. Look, look at the look at all the fights Cormier has had outside of John. He dominates everybody. If you oh, have never seen Cormier fight before, you would think, why are these guys even fighting? This 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 guy's nowhere near John's level. That's that this is easy for John, even though Cormier looked better in that second fight than he did in the first you know, before he got knocked out. So no one's ever done that to Cormier. And and to say that, oh, the only reason he beat him is because he took let's say he let's say he actually did take that substance. That's still not the reason why he beat him. A better argument is John is only in his twenties and Cormier is almost forty. You know, the fact that Cormier is even in there still competing at a high level is impressive. You know, that's a better argument. A better argument would be how would these guys match up if they were the same age? Or if oh, yeah. for me, were, you know, that, those are all better arguments that we don't, we're not, we don't have the answers to, but they're, they're more reasonable arguments to make than, oh, Cormier would have beat it. So you're basically saying Cormier would have beat him if he didn't have that substance in him. You know, that, that, that's the counter argument. Come on. Now, and DC is amazing. I mean, just look what he did yeah, to yeah. Stipe. But again, this shows you how good John is because Stipe is yeah. amazing. DC yeah. beats Stipe. And then when John yeah. fights DC, it, it, you know, it's like not a problem. Yeah, it's nothing for him. He's the best to ever do it, man. I mean, I, I don't even know why people have a discussion. They're like, well, Demetrius Johnson. I was like, Demetrius Johnson is fighting guys who are 125 pounds. You know, how many How many are the best athletes in the UFC guys who are 125 pounds? And the answer well, on is top of that, no. look at this. But also look at this. John's gone up to heavyweight and dusted people. You know, outside yeah. of this, whereas DC, I mean, whereas Demetrius Johnson w went up and he didn't do well there. That's why he, he was happy when this division was created <laughs> because he wasn't doing well. John, well John's well. never, John's never fought at heavyweight. I think he wants to, but I don't think he's ever had a heavyweight fight. Is that correct, Ken? Yeah, I mean, you think oh, he wants okay. to go to heavyweight. He's only fought at light heavyweight his whole career. He's talked about going yeah, to from, heavyweight, but he keeps failing these drugs. Yeah, from what I recall, he's <laughs> never had a heavyweight fight. I thought he did. Yeah. No, I'm pretty sure he did it, but he would, you know, it's a, to, to your, it, I, I think he would, he was supposed to fight Stipe before he got popped again. And I think he would have won that fight for sure. And I think he would have beat Brock and so forth. Demetrius is awesome. I don't want to take anything away from him. He's a, he's a, and what he does in the ring is amazing. Oh, he's he's amazing. an awesome athlete. I'm, I'm just saying the caliber of opponents that he has faced is nowhere near the level of the caliber of opponents John Jones has faced or even Anderson Silva in his prime. Right. It's just a different ball game. And like yeah, you said, yes, he hasn't gone to heavyweight, but if he did, I bet he would sweep the floors there too. Yeah, I'm thinking more. Oh, I'm thinking more of Anderson. Anderson's gone. To yeah, Anderson you're thinking Anderson. Anderson yeah, he went did. to light heavyweight. Yeah. Yeah, 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 he did that. 
you know, and yeah, it yeah. won. It's like, like I said, Demetrius, like I said, he went – the weight class above him wasn't working out too well. So when that 125 came up, it's like, yeah, I'm I'm in. <laughs> Please put me in that division. Well, we got we to gotta give kudos to Ken because Ken, Ken and I were talking during that UFC, and he placed a bet on Henry Cejudo to upset Demetrius Johnson. And that, that was – that was a good bet, man. You had, you had a good run that night. You bet on, uh, you actually, you bet on T, you, you actually, you, you didn't win the fight with Cody versus TJ. You bet on Cody. Yeah, I thought, I thought Cody was going to get that one. But I just yeah. thought Henry was due. I think Henry's a, you know, he's a high level athlete. He's a former Olympian. And I also think yeah. Demetrius could possibly just be getting bored. You know, he's been on such a run for such a long time. And we've seen this with other champions it's, it's where. So hard. Even if you're not bored, just trying to last that, just the pressure of being champion right. and everyone's talking about you like you're the greatest ever and the, the pressure's on now to keep pulling off these wins and keep the record breaking going. And, you know, it was really cool though. And Demetrius, you know, he took that loss like a man, like he didn't, yes, he, did. uh, he didn't blame it on anything. And I think it was a really good example. I know a that lot was of awesome. other fighters called him out for just saying how cool he was for handling the loss the way he did. Yeah. Well, it's the same right. thing with Connor when uh, Nate Diaz beat him. You know, Connor showed exactly how to. He didn't run away from the post press interviews or the pro, the post fight press conference. He showed up and answered every question. Didn't make any excuses, and he was obsessed with fighting him again. That's a champion mindset right there, as opposed to you know what, I'm not doing that again. Let me go back to 145. <laughs> no, he's like no, he's like no, I'm not going to fight anyone else. It's like I'm only going to fight Nate Diaz again. We got to do it again just obsessed with it you know contrast that with Rhonda when she lost to holly she, she just cried like a baby and, and ran off into the sunset and, and i'm a wrestler now wwe hey stephanie man put the girl up the top. <laughs> imagine imagine if Rhonda did what connor did people would love her they'd be like you know what i didn't really like her before but man the way she handled that loss that was cool you know she really showed a lot of class and she gave holly all the credit in the world and she answered every question she didn't make excuses People would have loved her, man. Her stock would have gone through the roof. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and and it's it, man, it's crazy to see Rhonda's like ascent because she went right to the top, and she was possibly the most famous female athlete in the world for a couple years, and then oh, yeah. know, she loses the fight. And I think how she handled the loss, I think those kind of contributed to where she's not really a topic of conversation like she was before. No. No, and she I, I guarantee you she would have been if she were really classy about it. Same thing with, and then she comes back and fights Amanda, and that was even a worse loss. <laughs> that, was, that was painful to watch. And then yeah. same thing, just goes running off, doesn't answer any questions, doesn't give Amanda credits, doesn't show up at the post-fight press conference. Now, look, these people can do whatever they want. I'm not saying they should do what I say they're doing. I'm not a professional fighter. I don't know what the emotions are like when you lose such a big fight. I'm just saying that, it looks a lot better the way people like Connor handle it and Demetrius. That oh, absolutely. To me shows a lot of character. It says a lot about who they are. Forget about fighters. It shows a lot about who they are, their character. Well, even in <sighs> even in victory, just showing, you know, just I mean, even when she would win, it was still just like this, still brash, yeah. and just, it was really this sense of entitlement. So basically. She bought into it, man. She bought into what was being sold. I mean, to her Misha's by, trying to by, shake her hand, and she just disses her, just puts her off, and yeah. you know, just like, okay, I get it. You want to sell fights, but even even if you take somebody like Chell Son, he can sell a fight, but at the end of the day, if he loses or whatever else, he still will be humble for five seconds at least <laughs> before, <laughs> oh, he goes yeah. back to, before he goes back to jail. Oh, you know, if, whereas she was always on, man. No matter what, just like you cannot, 
She cannot be humble for crap, which is funny to see her try to act humble in the WWE now. Where it's like, okay, but no one's going to buy your humbleness in something that's scripted. So now we don't even know, <laughs> exactly. if, you're, you know <laughs> if you're being true, if they're writing it, to, if they're trying to create a persona of you that you didn't have in the UFC to get these fans right. to like you, because that's going to be a lot of merchandise sales, you know. <laughs> But I can see it. All you have to do is look at all the women's faces that are in the WWE when they're around her. You can see all those girls hate her because she just came in and they automatically. Now, three, four months later, she already has the belt, whereas she hasn't even put in any work in the in that business. So it's like you're not you can sit there and give the girls all the praise you want. They're not going to respect you. Not in that field. No, they, so can respect you in the, they can respect you in MMA, but they won't respect you in there because they've these girls have put in all this work and all this time and whatever else. And taking the bumps, the bruises and disrespect and everything over the years where they know what, when basically anytime the women would fight is bra and panty matches, you know, there's always some sexist stuff. going on Because <laughs> Vince McMahon is a perv. Okay. So, and now that they're finally being treated more like athletes, you know, here she comes and now they're going to put everything on her like they did with Brock and look what happened right. with Brock. He's like, he, right. he, he killed their business for a year and a half. This dude didn't even really fight. He fought seven times in almost a year and a half. The belt was never, like, defended. So a lot of fans were ready to see this dude lose, man. Yeah, they don't care about who the, you know, the Roman Reigns, but anybody but Brock, because that's what they buy into. That's the sport they want to watch, and they don't want somebody just sitting on their ass collecting checks, no matter what sport it is. It's like, dude, you right. got to respect the fans. They're paying good That's Those tickets are not cheap. They're just as expensive as UFC tickets, okay? And, and people are not just balling in money like that, you know, so – you got to respect the fans, and he he's going on record saying, I don't care about the fans. So with her, it's like I said, you know, it seems like she's trying to be genuine saying she's going to be, a, you know, a different champ than Brock, but no one believes it because it could be scripted. We don't know if that's really right. you talking or if that's just being written into the storyline because they want to make you a face. Well, I mean, even, even most actors and actresses, you know, my brother's in that world, he was telling me that yeah. even when these actors and actresses are in interviews, they're still acting. Yeah, for the yeah, most exactly. part, that's not who they are. They're trying to come off a certain okay, way. They're either man. trying to come off humble or they're trying to come off cool or likable. They're actors. Look, man. When they're, when they're grand, like after some type of political thing happens or whatever, and they get up there and they start grandstanding and talking about, you know, their position, their politics, or whatever else, like, okay, are you acting right now? This is something you really believe. And then if you are being true, why should I listen to you? Like, what, what is your background in this? It's like, basically, you're just like the rest of us. You have an opinion on it, but it doesn't, but don't stand up there like what you're saying is how it's supposed to be. You know, you're being very disingenuous to all those. Uh, when, I, when, I was, when I was in LA, I met people that everyone thinks are cool, right? Certain celebrities. And I would meet them in context where they were, at least in that, at least in that moment, they were total a-holes, either the way they were talking to a staff member, sometimes the way they were talking to me. You know, so I've, I saw, and I, I also met a lot of celebrities that were super cool people. I met Charlie Sheen one time. I, I walked by a restaurant and he was there and he just happened to walk out. I was like, hey man, big fan, keep up the great work. He's like, oh, thanks a lot, man. You have a good day. No, he was cool. <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> yeah. but Charlie I'm about Sheen to is very, you want to join me? <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. I was about to say, Charlie Sheen is very authentic. You know, that's, he doesn't try to, oh, yeah. he's not a guy who's like, man, he's like, he's not like, oh, I hope no one finds out about these Heidi, Heidi hookers I'm going to. He's, he puts it out there. You know, so that's why none of these girls talk smack about him. There's nothing to say. You know, he puts it all out there. So he's, he's not living a lie. He's not trying to be two different people. And those are the people that are usually pretty cool. But yeah, you would, oh, in Los Angeles, Angeles, you would run into the, you would run into those kind of people every once in a while. Most of the time, celebrities I ran into were friendly, but there were times I would meet someone who's not even a big celebrity and they, everyone thinks they're cool on whatever medium they see them in. But the way they were talking when no cameras are around, I was like, wow, this person's a real <laughs> class A a-hole here, man. <laughs> Oh, hey, guys, I just yeah, looked over his clock, and uh, I have a class. Oh, you got to go. 
Yeah, I got to go. I just, I'm supposed to be there at 5.30, and it's like 5.30 right now. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but I love talking to you guys, and I'd love to come back on and talk some more, man. Yeah, let's, let's have you come back on soon. We can talk about what you're getting into now and what the future holds for you. Let's get you back soon and go into that. Oh, yeah, that'd be great, man. I'd love that. Sounds good, buddy. Thanks for coming on, right. man. Appreciate hey, good it. Good talking to you guys. You have a great class. Well, you take care. And we can wrap up too because you know, we're we're closing in on that three hour mark ourselves. Usually it's just you and I for the last hour you know, before we wrap up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, folks, you already know what to do. Share the episode. Make sure you go to Patreon, become a subscriber, get the early bird listens and downloads and streams before everyone else. A lot of you guys realize that with that Christian episode because. um it, it wasn't available on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for about a month later. <laughs> so, again, <laughs> Patreon membership has its privileges. And um, other than that, make sure you go to both our websites, MikeMahler.com, and go to NewWarriorTraining.com, support our respective businesses. Use that coupon code LLA, get 10% off of whatever the hell we're selling. And um, it's about to be that time of the year where people probably should be stocking up on your stuff, huh, Mike? You know, it's fall. Yeah, we're getting to that time. Yep, we're getting to the fall, which is always a good period of time for business. People start getting into that. The, the summer wall is over. <laughs> the, the, the procrastination period's over. Like, oh man, this year is about to wrap up. Let me try to hit some of those goals I, I ignored on January 1st before the year's over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, man, lots of good bundles over there at the website as well. So, you know, don't just buy one thing and then think, like, oh, I'll finish that up. I'll get another bottle. Nope. Stock up, man, because you're not the only one. <laughs> that's, that's the issue. Yeah, then just, not, just make sure you subscribe to my newsletter on my website because there's always specials I offer for newsletter subscribers as well. So just get in on that action. Yeah, and if also if you're over on Patreon and you're on the higher tiers, you know, make sure you reach out to us to get those coupon codes. If you're doing the $25 and above to get that 15% and then those 20% discounts and all that. So just reach out to us. We'll send it over to you. And don't lie because I know. I know if you're one of those subscribers. Don't say, hey, man, I'm trying to get the coupon code 15% off, 20% off. Like, yeah, your name's not here. You're not one of those on that tier. That was cute, though. Nice try. <laughs> so be honest. <laughs> we know. <laughs> so other than that, that's going to wrap it up for us because we talk too damn much, and I'm getting thirsty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care, everyone. All right, folks. Take care.